0: I went ahead and hit record Joseph (laughs) Gordon-Levitt.
1: You're listening to Cool Mike and Chris in the Morning. Uh, Make sure you fill that meter if you're parked at a restaurant, and make sure you fill up the love tank if you're parked with your loved one.
0: (laughs) That's just a little bit of what you're going to hear from Mike Logan, the Ice Cold Comedian. Go check it out right now on Instagram and anywhere else where you can see him. At Ice Cold Comedian. No underscores or any of that nonsense. Mike Logan is originally from Detroit, lived in the northern part of Michigan, and now lives in West Michigan just on the uh, edge of downtown Grand Rapids. He has been performing comedy for the last several years around here and around the state and around the country. He's got a special coming out later this year. We talk about that and how at the time, that special and comedy going into that was everything to him and now his life is kind of changing at the age of 35. So we get into all things about comedy, creativity, creative people versus non-creative people, his creative process, what works and doesn't work in his creative process. You hear a whole bunch of stuff about comedy. Oh, I should also mention, we were in his house, so if you hear traffic, some sirens, some weather going on in the background, it's because we had the window open. We were at his place because he injured his leg and needed to keep it propped up, but it was a joy to be there. We talked about social media a little bit in the beginning, his life experiences, creative process, and kind of just what makes him good at what he does. Occasionally, you'll hear random, oh, hey, look at this piece of art. This is a Van Gogh, because it was on his screensaver at his house on his TV. Different classic paintings. We talked about pop culture shit that millennials like to nerd out on, and, uh... Really, the first half of the show is mostly about Mike, and then the last half is just us talking and you getting to know more about uh, more about him and uh, who he is as a person. One thing that I hope you stick around for is towards the end, he talks about the media and how they portray us as being so divided in these times right now, but how he sees it differently. Um, and we talk about misogyny in the Olympics and the evolution of race relations amid the pandemic. All kinds of crazy fun stuff. So stick around for it, man. Mike Logan is a person first, and a comedian, either second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. But when he's doing comedy, he is one of the best. I hope you will check him out again at Ice Cold Comedian on all your favorite social media platforms. Check this guy out. He's the real deal. Intelligent, funny, and a joy to talk to. So, without further ado, the inimitable ice cold comedian, Mike Logan.
1: The idea that social media has turned into this fake vanity project for yeah, everybody yeah. right where it's like you know all the positives and everything is great and everything's magical and yep. all the filters it's, on everything it's just, everything's so yeah. perfect yeah. and it's just the absolute farthest thing from reality and i noticed i mean i've been a guy who's always been in like in tune with social media like you know social media generation i'm 35 yeah like we were we were around when it was created so like right. i've always been around social media in my adult years um and it's always been this vapid fake thing well not always when facebook first started like myspace for example yeah, yeah, myspace yeah. was never always positive like it was like a journal on the internet right. and like you put whatever you wanted on there and it didn't have to be you know critiqued it didn't have to be prove anything to anybody else because it was all about you yeah and then facebook came out and you know when facebook first started it was like that and then obviously it's turned into what it is the juggernaut that it is now yeah it's just turned into this just like one-upsmanship competition and i got wrapped up in that and i i got to the point where i had to leave facebook altogether because i was so caught up in social media that it was ruining my personal life yeah so i
0: kind of of do you mean like Sharing opinions with people and then people would be upset with you or just like all of a sudden it would be 11 o'clock. You're like, shit, I didn't do anything today except social no, media.
1: It was no, no, it was the opposite. I mean, I'd only spend maybe three or four, well, three or four hours a day on Facebook back then. And um, it would just be so much negativity that it would bother me. Yeah, like it wasn't about like I have thick. You just felt skin. like icky afterwards. Yeah, I didn't yeah. give a shit. What people say I don't care at all what people think <laughs> about me. I haven't for a while, and like so, Facebook was never that part. Never bothered me, and my page was very much like kind of like it is on Instagram. Instagram is a lot more. It's honed in of what I wanted my page to be. Mm. Facebook was kind of. I did do this wholesome the last I think five months I was on Facebook but it wasn't fully formed. Like the whole idea of what I wanted my social media to be wasn't fully formed at that point. And it took me leaving Facebook because Facebook is such like a negative vacuum. Um, It took me leaving there and focusing just on like one platform. I took like two months and I was like, I want this platform to be a deliberate place where somebody can come and get a dose of me. Mm. And part of that is a daily dose of wholesome because despite my, my gruff ghetto exterior, (laughs) I'm a pretty wholesome guy. Like deep down, like I, uh, I grew up in a pretty cliché like childhood in Detroit. Um,
0: like I've seen I, some posts about that too. That I wanted to ask you about when that comes around too. When yeah. we get to your earlier childhood well, stuff, my childhood yeah.
1: was weird, but I mean, like, <laughs> I did all the shit that you see in movies and TV yeah. shows that kids did. So I've always been attracted to that wholesome vibe. And this is a very other conver other episode conversation, but it really harkens back to the fact that I'm adopted and I've never felt a real family connection. Mm-hmm. So my subconscious has always clinged on to like really cliche wholesome things because oh. I didn't have them
0: growing up. That's very interesting. Yeah, but like I said, that's a whole another episode of conversation. No, but that's just but, that's just one of those things. Like because I've seen all the stuff that you put on your page, and I see it through my lens. But it's weird when you get a chance to like shift lanes and get like, well, this is why I put this out, and it, you know, it's like seeing the negative of a picture or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but then also, I put the other stuff. Like I'll have these bold quotes that I always put on there. I guess that's what I'm calling them. Bold quotes. Uh, I do bold quotes because <laughs> yeah. I don't have Facebook to use as a platform to say what I want to say. I don't like Twitter that much. I use it kind of jokingly, never really put anything serious on there. Yeah. And so
0: Yeah, I I don't know what the deal with Twitter is. At least for me, maybe I just am not good at it, but I think I have more followers on Twitter than any of my others, but like the least amount of engagement by far. Twitter's weird, man. You got to like... And if you look at people
1: who like... If you're not a celebrity, like yeah. you're not getting engagement on your tweets. Like you got to either be some sort of social figure, an entertainer, mm-hmm. or a celebrity, or else you're just not going to get traction.
0: Or be super consistent with it.
1: You got to be... I mean, you got to be overly consistent. Like I,
0: super- I follow one person who like puts out like two puns a day. Two like, puns. That's yeah. a lot of puns. <laughs> like, yeah. They're just a pun machine, but it's like every day. And sometimes they're not that good, but you're like... Mm, Brian Atkinson? They're- no, no, no. Uh, Does- you Uh, like puns there's a guy named brian atkinson who does that check him out no and now i should i should remember her name it's like Desindra sullivan or something like that i I have to look i'm a big fan of puns yeah Um, she's she's good with it but yeah she always puts in hashtag sorry not sorry
1: (laughs) but that's why that's why i like the page because like i think we're all human like the wholesome stuff should be taken with the negative stuff. Yeah. Like my Instagram story, I think is far more interesting than my actual page because my story is like just a glimpse into like me, my personal life, not everything. I'm very, I keep a lot of stuff pretty close to the vest, but it's a lot of the negative, a lot of the good and the bad, a lot of the bad goes in the story because like, you know, it goes away in 24 hours. (laughs) Right. Yeah. um, The concise thoughts that I feel like are things that are not just things that I think, but things that I think a lot of other people think, but A lot of people don't have a platform, however big or small my platform is. A lot of people don't have the balls, I guess, to say it. A lot of people care a lot about what other people think, so Mm -hmm. they won't say it. So I'm just like, if I think this, I'm gonna fucking say it,
0: and I don't really care if people like accept it or not. It's just my page, so I'm gonna kind of do what I want. Yeah, i I think I probably at at one time was more like in fear of putting something out on Twitter. Be like, oh, somebody might not take that the right way, but he might not. You know what the I, I think the worst backlash I've ever gotten is somebody being like, I commented on uh, Shikari Richardson, and the the person was like, well, obviously, you've never played sports before, so I'm not even going to bother talking to you. Like,
1: okay. Pretty adult thing to say, actually. <laughs> See, it's, like, it's like, I'm not even going to dignify this. It's like, okay, well, I guess that's all, this interaction's over. <laughs> yeah. So, I... Uh, I so... <sighs> I welcome those kinds of interactions, I mainly because of, like I said, my thick skin. And also, I genuinely am a curious person about humans. Like, I, I think a lot of people, it took years for people to understand that I don't like stirring the pot. I just am a curious person who genuinely loves learning. And I love learning about people specifically. Yeah. So I can talk for hours with somebody who has an exact opposite view of mine. And they can be like... In the gutter Just being a piece of shit To me In the interaction It will never faze me And I'll keep being patient With them and talking Because I think That there's like A dialogue that should happen Between people With these kinds of opinions Like if this person Is this angry About some shit Yeah we should talk about it. <laughs> right. And I know in my situation, the thing that I can bring to this is just being calm. Like I'm able to talk to anybody about any situation and not get pissed, no matter how demonstrative or how mad or how agitated they get. I'm going to stay pretty mellow because I understand the importance of the conversation and not the emotion they're having.
0: Is that where ice cold comes from? Because like ice in your veins or ice cold, like damn, that dude says some cold shit. You know, it started off as <laughs> high school. It started. Uh,
1: I started it because of the song. Hey, yeah. I okay. loved that song when it came out. Uh, I sang it all the time in school and shit. I had it airbrushed on my senior t shirt. Yeah, what's cooler than being ice, cool? Ice cold. So I just, it stuck with me. And then it started just becoming my personality. Like I've always been very, like you know, laid back, I guess. Not laid back, but relaxed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And calm. Um, and then the nickname kind of stuck in college. I just kept telling people to call me that. I didn't earn it. I was just like, my name is like, call me ice cold, call me ice cold, blah, blah, blah. And then if I made a screen name like AOL or like a new email, ice cold would go in there. Yeah. Then when I became an entertainer, I was like, okay, I want one deliberate thing to have identify me as. Like I didn't want, like I looked at all my peers a decade ago and I saw all of like their social medias were all different names. Like it It was weird, like the professional comedians, because at the time, and I'm an amateur at the time, the professionals, they all had, all their stuff was one name and me and my amateur peers all had different, I didn't have different names, I didn't have social medias at the time, but you know, my Twitter's this, my Instagram is this, my YouTube channel is this, my Facebook page is this, like you got to fucking give a business index card just to find all their different platforms. (laughs) Right. So I was like, well, what's one name that I could use for everything? Well, I put Ice Cold in everything, so I just said Ice Cold Comedian. It's like how Childish Gambino put his fucking name in a Whoop whoop tang name generator, and that's how he got his name. (laughs) Did you know that?
0: (laughs) i never heard that before. Yeah,
1: Donald Glover just wanted to become a... So he was a producer before he was a rapper. uh, Couldn't get anybody to rap on his beats, because they didn't think they were good enough. So he rapped over his own beats, but he needed to come up with a rap name so he could release his music, so he just put his name in the Wu-Tang Clan name generator, yeah. which you can still do to this day, yeah, yeah, yeah. and out came Childish Gambino, <laughs> and that's the name he stuck with. He says to this gay- day he regrets it, though. He said he would have put more thought into it. <laughs> but mine works. Like, it. ice-cold comedian. Like, it just yeah. works. It works on every platform. It gets the point across. You kind of get my personality just from that you hear the name ice-cold comedian. It's like, okay, this guy's going to be pretty smooth, pretty, like, relaxed, pretty calm. And yeah, I don't really get rattled, uh, especially online. There's no point. Yeah. It's not even a real per- I don't even know that person. Like I just get shocked when people just not shocked, I understand how humans work, but like <laughs> I get kind of blown away, I guess, yeah, by the audacity of a person to think that I, a stranger to them, could care enough about their opinion to ruin my day. <laughs> like, how arrogant can you be to yeah. think? Like if I'm talking on a keyboard and now I- this guy puts a video out, I think this video is crap. I'm saying that to air my opinion, I guess. I would never say that because I think art subjective and we shouldn't say stuff like that unless it's constructive but if I'm like a dick and I'm like your video is crap right and then I'm the creator now and I see the comment and I'm like oh I'm devastated this one guy I don't even know this person I gotta look up this person right now find out who they are have a conversation with them and I'm gonna rework my entire career I'm gonna rethink this video I'm gonna delete this video make a new cut of it upload it just for this guy that's what these people think Yeah, like they don't understand that like I'm going off a tangent but they don't understand that like people who are creative and creative people are creative for the sake of being creative, not to please somebody else. Yeah. Like I'm not doing shit and putting it out there and hoping that somebody likes it or fearing that somebody will hate it because I like it. And yeah. so hopefully somebody else does and people do. For yeah. The most part. I make stuff <laughs>
0: because it makes me feel good after I've done it. But if I don't like, <clears throat> I said that I usually sit down on my quote workday starts at 10. Cause <laughs> usually it's like, you know, I'll look at uh, some blogs that I've got to write for somebody or, something that i'm writing you know for fiction for myself um if i don't sit down and write for like more than three days in a row i'll get weird i'll get twitchy i'll get short with people and as soon as i sit down and write it's just like it's all gone yeah but i've Do got a book window closed is that okay or? i don't care we're in mike logan's house by the way people so if you hear the cars in the background that's not your sound that's us I live in a very lively
1: neighborhood. (laughs) We're lucky it's raining today because normally there's a bunch of people in that park all day long yelling obscenities at people passing by. It's very entertaining.
0: I actually kind of said I missed that. I'll have to come back later.
1: Dude, it's, I mean, I've got, they've all got names. I got nicknames for them all on my social media because, like, they'll do some crazy. There's a a dude named Cartman, and it's because in the summertime he's got this cart with him all the time and he argues with it and shit. And, like, they have, like, a relationship. Like, I've seen him, like, get mad at it and stuff. (laughs) The park's crazy. And then one day, one day, I remember I woke up, flipped my curtains open, and there was like 50 white kids all in tie-dyed t-shirts. This is all black people in this park all the time. 50 white kids in tie-dyed t-shirts with like white moms and minivans all fucking parked along. Like they were taking over the block and shit. It was weird. <laughs> two hours later, homeless people back in the park. It was like... It's like the, I've never seen... I'm like living in the middle of like gentrification happening outside my window. I've been here for two years in this apartment. And like when I first moved here... Like, Bridge Street had just opened, like, three or four months before that. The houses all in this block were all, like, black families and, like, Latina and all that stuff. Now, and then this park was all, like, people that lived, like, in the neighborhood. Now, the all these apartments are all Airbnbs. Every house except for this one and the one next to me is all Airbnbs. So it's all, like, college kids in and out every weekend. That park is all, like, homeless people that have been displaced from farther on the west side. Since, like, you know, all this stuff's been built up over here, yeah. they've been all pushed from their part they were hanging out over to here. So now I've got homeless people hanging in this park. Meanwhile, you've got like rich Airbnb people coming in, staying here every weekend. And you've got all these people who go to all the new bars that park all their cars up along this block. So, like every front, well, tonight, fucking tomorrow, every weekend is bananas on this corner. Cause then you got Steel Cat right there next to a liquor store that's been shot up four times in the last two years. We've got cops that patrol this corner literally every two hours and shit. Cause there's like drug dealers hanging on that corner. It's like you've got. I grew up in Detroit. I moved away from Detroit in the 80s and 90s. That's where I grew up. And it followed me here, but it's mixed with my current life, which is on this side of the block. It's really weird. But I love this fucking house. I'll never get rid of it. Like I don't care how famous or rich or whatever I get in my entire life. This, this apartment funny. will always stay in my I will always have this place. I love it here.
0: Talk about, you know, as much as it's relevant anyway, what uh what got you thinking about comedy as you know, just being kind of a thing for you. What age were you? What was going on in your life? What special was it you saw? Because I remember the first comedy special I ever saw. I think it was just, you know, it was on TV and it was um, Dana Carvey's hmm. like 90s special. The one where he talks about it's uh, naked It's naked time. It's naked it that time? One? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's it's like changing the chord. People always want to know, did you do it? <laughs> did you do it in the Lincoln bedroom? <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything except my son's name is Abe. That is a really good special. <laughs> that was a great special, and that was my first introduction to comedy. And obviously, I didn't go into comedy, but like that was what got my attention. Is like, hey, this is a thing. Mm. Um, so I'm not one of
1: those people. Who, I'm not a com- I'm not a typical comedian. Like, I'm not one of those comics who is like, you know, I was raised on Richard Pryor and George Carlin. You know, I got into comedy. I've always loved comedic stuff, but I loved acting first. Mm. I'm still, I mean, I'm an actor now. And yeah, I you still- do improv
0: shows and shit, right? I do
1: I was supposed to do a residency at the comedy project, but this happened. But yeah. I mean I've been in like two movies and a bunch of commercials and stuff like that. Um, and then I do uh so I currently am a voiceover artist is my main source of income. Comedy is kinda of taking a back seat just because of the pandemic and all that shit. Yeah. But um wanted to be an actor, loved comedic films growing up. Me and my dad would always watch like fucking airplane, everything Mel Brooks, Airplane, Dude. like Chris
0: Farley movies, all that kind of stuff growing up. My dad was always like, this is like- surely you must be joking you know like all the time he was we were always watching airplane and then he called me in from my room one time when blazing saddles was on tv he's like chris come here come here come here i come running down the house like, what is it he's like you got to see this and it was the f- like five minutes of just guys farting oh
1: <laughs> i uh so my dad passed away uh, five years ago and at uh. his funeral i gave the speech that bill murray gives to that caddy kid uh, about catting for the Dalai Lama in yeah. Caddyshack, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because we always, he and I always joked that I was like, well, whichever one is, dies first, we have to tell this story because <laughs> when you die on your deathbed, you will achieve total consciousness. So I got that going for me, you know, which is nice. So like, I, I was like, I so said he passed, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this bit. And I remember I got there, I had a show the night before somewhere. And was driving back to get to the funeral. Um, I remember I, I had a day job at the time, so I worked a day job the day my dad died. Then I went and did a show the next night, and then drove to go to the funeral the next morning. Went to the wrong funeral home because it was in it was the Hopcroft Funeral Home at eight or seven nine mile in DeQuinder in on the east side of the east side of the state. But I went to the one at fourteen in John R. Because there's only two of them. One's in Mazonites, one <laughs> wasn't Detroit. Went to the wrong one. Get there. I'm already pissed because like I went to the fucking wrong funeral home. Also, I'm pissed because you know my dad died. Right. So, like, I, go in, I go in there and like my dad's dad, who is like a dick. Don't like that guy. Never liked him. Uh, he's in there and he's like always got this new young like girl, like crackhead looking girl with <laughs> him and shit. And like I go to the funeral parlor and fucking I'm late and shit. And he's standing outside and everybody's in the home, the room or whatever, like with the body. And Grandpa Jim just says, there's my grandson, Michael. He He's a comedian. This is my girlfriend. Tell her a joke. I'm like, bro, we're at your son's funeral. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So
0: like, Yo, and that's not fucking... how comedians work yeah, either. Yeah, I don't fucking do jokes until I'm on the You just, you just squeeze the them and a, pu-
1: and a punchline comes <laughs> I... out. Yeah. So then I go, you know, sit there in front row and then, you know, funerals, it's a hundred people you don't know. And they're all like, oh, my God, I loved your dad. And I'm like, I've never seen you before. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, who are you? And I was like, what are you talking about? me and your dad used to hang out when we were 14. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> so then I get up there and I'm like, all right, I'm doing the bit. Like I don't care. I said, I'm doing it. So I give a pretty nice speech about like the last time we had hung out, which was we had chatted about the Pistons or like the last week before that. Uh, And then I just went into, I didn't even say I was doing the bit. I was just—I just started doing it, uh, and then my mom starts like cry, fucking laughing and shit. <laughs> and then my sister is like cracking up. Nobody else in the room was <laughs> like dead silence. Like I'm, but I'm do—I'm committed I'm to
0: the bed. Are people looking at you like they're so what is, confused? What is he doing? They were
1: so confused. <laughs> they're just like looking at me, like some of them look kind of horrified. <laughs> so I get done, which is nice, you know. And then my mom gets done, and she like wipes the tears away. And then like my sister starts, like, and look around. I was just like. Fuck you. He'd have fucking loved it. And I just left. <laughs> <laughs> I was pissed. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I was like, I don't know any of you people, man.
0: That's the best eulogy ever. Dude, I'm. <laughs> Fuck I think you. I was
1: also angry because Harold Ramis had died the week before that. Ooh. And Bill Murray gave that speech at his eulogy. And I was like, oh, you stepped up my joke.
0: <laughs>
1: but um, I'm sorry, why did we get off on that tangent?
0: No, we were just talking about uh, living in Detroit and oh, yeah. uh, kind of bridging, uh, bridging that time from Detroit to Grand Rapids. Yeah, well, so, Detroit to northern Michigan.
1: Comedy. Um, so uh, we wa- grew up watching comedic films and stuff, and I wanted to be an actor. I knew I wanted to be an actor. Then I wanted to be an NBA player, and then I fucked up my. I got attacked by a dog when I was in fifth grade. It ate oh. my whole calf on my left. Oh, there's a gnarly scar under here. It's
0: geez like, It was 77
1: stitches when I was a kid. It was.
0: Did nuts. that contribute to like what's going on here now? Like, did that leave you like weaker in that leg or anything? I mean, it didn't until three weeks ago. <laughs>
1: no. I mean, I've been able to dunk a basketball since ninth grade, so I mean, Damn. it's not really affected me at all until every ligament decided to say "fuck it" and just give up. <laughs> So it wasn't until, I mean, I, I graduated high school, went to college, graduated college, moved to northern Michigan, uh, lived up there for a couple of years, and then came, won a trip at work. I was working at a bar in the basement of a historic hotel. Um, their Christmas parties were fucking epic. This like, is still up north? This is in Petoskey, Michigan. Petoskey, yeah. okay. Um, at the Perry Hotel, Stafford's Perry Hotel. I don't work there anymore uh, because they're fucking racist. Um, <laughs> at Stafford's Hotel. My follow-up Perry question Perry was going to be,
0: what is it like to be... And obviously not white person in a very white rural area. You know,
1: I found out the day I left, the day I moved, I had a going, people threw a going away party. I was the only black guy who ever did anything. So I was very popular up there. <laughs> yeah. um, it was like literally like being a celebrity. People up there. Go, hey, there he is. Straight up. Like every time I'm anywhere, that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> There you are. Do I know you? No, but there you are. <laughs> <laughs> but I found out at the going away party for me when a woman who I'd never met, because I've heard so much about you. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. I'm so sad we're just meeting. I was like, it was going really well. You know, it's one of those kind of things. And we're hitting it up. And then uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Uh, I'll be right back. I come back. She's got another friend with her. This is my friend. I can't remember the girl's name at this time. It's this my friend. This is, my, this is Black Mike. And I said, excuse me? And she says, oh, I'm sorry, is that not your, are, are you not, this is Black Mike. And I was just like, who calls me Black Mike? And then she's like, I mean, I think everybody. And so then I have to look around, this is a bar, everybody like, in there is my
0: friend. Everybody refers so to you I this way looking to the around. point that somebody else is like, oh, that's just what he's called.
1: I'm like looking around at my friends, and I'm like, bro, do you call me, Bla-? he's like, yeah, we do, is that not Okay. I was like, that is so not okay. This is after living in there for, like, I think five years, five or six years. Yeah. I'm like, that is so not okay. And then in this bar, I gave a speech to, like, 50 people. And I was like, here's why this is not okay, guys. But it was a polite one because I was like, these are all my friends. And uh, it was was all uh, out of ignorance. Like, it wasn't that anybody did it on purpose. It was like, guys, I know that your hearts were in the right places kind of a thing. Yeah, but then it was like they said to me, and I knew what their response was to be. I'm I'm a grown-ass man. You know what I mean? When you're a black man in America, you're very self-aware, period. Like, you can't not be. Like, you have to be at all times. Like, for your own safety, you have to be um so like i'm very self-aware and it helps that i'm a creative entertainer too because that makes me even more so there's a very heightened sense of self-aware mm-hmm. and i don't want to be mad at somebody when like they use me as an identifier so like i know all the responses they're gonna say so i'm like why do you guys call me black mike i was like well you know there's like nine other mics in town I was like okay that's a good point but like how nice do i dress i mean you're like the best dressed guy in town why not nice dress mike i wear suits to bars dive bars for no reason why not suit mike i'm hilarious right they're like I mean, yeah, I get. It. I'm like, no, no, I'm gonna finish all these examples. <laughs> so I gave like ten examples, and I'm yeah. like, these are all identifiers that you could use because you would never call you white Joe, because like, the guy I was talking to was Joe, and I was like, you never call you know this other guy white Rick. You never call these people white anything because you're all white. Like, so you gotta identify. Unless that guy's as thing was them. like,
0: I'm fucking white. And he was like
1: fucking powder or some shit. <laughs> like, and he was really cool with being albino. Like. He would be like, "All right, call me
0: White Dave." I'm like, "Hey, that's White Dave." Like, also, I want a White Dave in my crew. Like, I, I don't want- know, man. If there's a guy who celebrates his whiteness, you might not want that. Like, that's like. One step away from like white power. Hold Dave. on, hold
1: on. Albinoism is not necessarily white. No, whiteness. no, no. I'm what? not
0: talking about albinos, though. I guess we we started thinking different tracks. Oh
1: yeah. So I have a. I know a guy. He's not my friend. I know a guy. A, you don't a, have to say a, it like that. So disgusted, like that. Well, because I don't. I think it's rude to say I have a friend when like. He's yeah. No, not. I know. Because well, I'm also mean. about to say that I don't remember his name. <laughs> But he's like a you know we in passing on social media kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like we chit chat every now and then. He just wrote a he's a cartoonist for the New Yorker, um, and he just wrote a book called um, Illustrating While Black or Cartooning While Black. Um, And he is an albino black man, and so everything he writes is from like this albino black perspective for the most part. Um, But when he writes for the New Yorker, it's from a strictly black perspective. Hmm. But he could call himself. (laughs) <laughs> I mean I don't think he would because he's black But like it's one of those things where I saw A show uh, a clip on YouTube Of a, a comic at the comedy cellar Talking to somebody in the front row And he thought it was a white dude And it was a black albino guy And he asked him to say the n-word And then the guy says it And I'm like, like and the white comic was like I don't know man. <laughs> And it's just like You very rarely ever see an albino Let alone like a black albino person Yeah Um. But I digress. <laughs> Stafford's Perry Hotel in Petoskey, Michigan. Don't go there. <laughs> um, but I worked there, and we—they have these great Christmas parties, and everybody gets a prize essentially, and they're all great prizes because they're a hotel chain. Or they have like nine hotels up there. Yeah. So I won a trip to the Amway Hotel in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I had never been to Grand Rapids before. Surprisingly, when you leave Grand Rapids, not a lot of people have ever heard of Grand Rapids. Well, before the last couple of years, like you guys have had this, I keep saying you guys have lived here for a while now, but there's this big <laughs> boom here where like everybody kind of knows the city, the breweries and like USA Today oh, yeah, calling yeah. it like one of the best <clears throat> places to live for the last like three years or some shit. So like in the last five years. I think years, they said
0: it was like the best city to be gay in too.
1: Yeah. You know what? It's ranked third up in the world though, or in the, the nation. Uh, the worst city to work while African-American. Uh <laughs> We got a little thunderstorm rolling in here for all you cool cats and kittens. So grab a loved one, snuggle up with a cool, warm, or something nice. It is 9.45 in the p.m. You're listening to Cool Mike and Chris in the Morning. Uh, Make sure you fill that meter if you're parked at a restaurant, and make sure you
0: fill up the love tank if you're parked with your loved one. All right.
1: <laughs> um, I digress <laughs> again uh it's the
0: name of the game today
1: come down to the amway here in grand rapids i choose to come down during laugh fest because i've never at that point never seen stand-up comedy i've never seen it
0: no shit never so seen it this is you come down here to see stand-up comedy for the first time at how old
1: in college or just a, nine just years a... ago this is like nine i think nine years ago um, okay so you're just out of college at that point right no i'm 35 so i I was not just out of college i got out of college at 23. Um, so like eight years ago, damn, I've only been doing comedy for eight years. All right, anyway, <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> so I come down here. Um, I watch Joe McHale uh do a set at the, the field house, uh, nice, and then I go to an open mic while I'm down here. I go see Sunday Night Funny. Shout out to Sunday Night Funny, still around. Uh, I'll actually be performing at the Sunday Night Funnies if I don't know when this is getting uploaded. This one will come out on uh, Monday. Oh, I'll be there yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I go to this open mic and I sit in the room and I watch the show. And aside from two comedians, I thought to myself, I could do this. Like I was like I could do comedy. This seems really easy. I got funny <laughs> stories. I've been doing this, this for my seems whole life. Really easy. It's exactly what I thought. That's the first thing I thought. Like you know what's funny, Larry David has the same story. Larry David went to the comedy cellar though and did this. Larry David, before he was like a writer for Seinfeld, went to the comedy. I don't know if you know uh, Kirby. Yeah, Enthus- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anybody doesn't know, Larry David is one of the creators of Seinfeld. He also has a show called Kirby Enthusiasm. Is yeah,
0: Larry and Kirby Enthusiasm plays Larry d- he plays him- very fucking a funny. fictional version of himself, but yeah. a heightened
1: version of himself. Yeah. Uh, so fr- <laughs> he went to the Comedy Cellar, watched stand up, and thought I can do this. And then apparently walked up to the manager and asked to go on at the Comedy Cellar. And I'm like, that is confidence. <laughs> so I walked up to the guy. <laughs> booker and i said how do i get on this show i didn't say put me on but i was like yeah. how do i get on this show and he's like oh you know send an email here i'll put you on as soon as i can if you've never done comedy before i'll try to get you on as soon as next week and i was like bet put me on next week i went on next week and i'm not gonna lie had an amazing set uh the first set was amazing because i just told a story i already knew was funny like i told a story i've been telling my whole life uh it was polished like it was a life true life story so it's easy to tell like that's part of it's a cheat when it comes to like being a storyteller comedian yeah especially if you're telling a story that's base in your own life it's really easy to tell it because you know you already know it you lived mm-hmm. it you know all the intricacies all the details you know where the yeah. comedy is you, you know don't know have to think of that thing like it happened to no you, no, you yeah. get to fix the other stuff you don't have to worry right. about thinking of the words because you already know the story so i went up there and i just did a fucking five minute story and it went really well and i made a lot of connections that night and once i found out how easy it was just to get up and do comedy that's the one thing like every comedian will tell you Till they're blue in the face, everyone's like, "How do I get started?" It's the I hate it. I hate that question. If you uh, here's some advice to anybody with means Don't ask a comedian how to get started in comedy. It's literally well, I'll tell you the same thing. Just start doing comedy. That's all you got to <laughs> do. You just go, go to Google. You type in open mics in my area. Boom. That's all you got to do. And then you just also have to, you know, get over the fear. Like I guess yeah. people have a fear <laughs> of like public speaking. Um, I have a joke that I used to tell where. I read somewhere once that Americans' number one fear is public speaking, and I feel like they didn't poll me because mine's the police. Like, I don't understand how public speaking is such a big fear,
0: but it is to everybody. It's very crippling
1: to most people. Well, that was probably 80% of,
0: you know, besides knowing you had something funny to say, is just getting up there and not going.
1: "Uh." That is the biggest thing. I mean, not. Like, not for me personally because nobody guess, wants to
0: watch somebody be uncomfortable you know a lot of people want to watch somebody be uncomfortable you'd be surprised <laughs> man
1: like, You'd be so surprised. i've seen so many shows where like it's like people are just up there eating shit for five <laughs> minutes and you just see the crowd just being like oh this guy's terrible oh yeah like you can tell they love it like sometimes a train wreck is fun to watch but when you're a comedian watching the train wreck it's hard it's like when you're a musician and you go to a show and, you know, I can go to a music show and listen to somebody rock out for two hours and not pick out one missed note. I'll be like, bro, you just fucking killed it. Yeah. Oh, the second verse, of the third song, I did this, and then blah, blah. And they'll just pick out every, like, little thing. Damn, is that an air Oh, it's First Friday, huh? Oh, that's right. Yeah, first Friday, I knew. And I want to talk about your heels. Right out of my fine HD screensaver.
0: Um say the universe just came to an end? Yeah, that was really We're weird. The I TV starts changing I have a channels missed call too.
1: From Meyer, <laughs> my prescription must be ready. Um, sorry. Um,
0: <laughs> it seems like the the more tragic the artist, the the more remembered they are. It's really
1: weird. Like I look at a lot of pieces that I think of. As, like, these beautiful pieces of art, and I watch, I look at them and I interpret them a certain way, like you're supposed to with art. And then I read the story of, like, the artist behind, like, their reasoning behind the art. Yeah. And it's like, well, this person, you know, was in a loveless marriage their entire life, and the woman didn't let them ever talk to anybody else. So they painted every picture of their wife as their stand in model for all the women, which is an actual fucking, it's Nighthawks. I don't know if you ever, the diner painting that everyone's seen. It's like, it's, who the fuck painted it?
0: It's the that famous one that looks in on the corner of the diner, diner, the diner yeah, with yeah, yeah. the man
1: and the woman uh, and then the diner guy and then another guy sitting at the bar. That, that picture is called Nighthawks. And huh, the no artist either. who painted that, I can't remember his name right now, um, he was married to the same woman his entire life and it was a loveless marriage their whole life. Uh, and she refused to let him paint any other women. So every time there's a woman in any piece of work he's ever done over his 70 year career, it's always her and always him as the model. And all the people, couples in the, the, every single painting they've ever done are never in love. It's really tragic. <laughs> like that diner photo, if you look at the photo like really close, you can see that they don't hold hands. It looks like they're holding hands, but if you look very closely, you can see that he's holding a cup of coffee and she's holding her own hand. Having said that, <laughs> to that, blew, ref-
0: that blew my mind.
1: Yeah, there's a lot, <clears throat> dude, art's fucking crazy. Like The Great Wave's another one too. Like the that's that one, everyone's seen that one. It's like a big, it's a Japanese piece. Um, it's got Mount Fiji in the background. There's a big wave. Um, and it looks very beautiful and majestic. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to represent... Uh, uh, is it Japan or China? Fuck. Mount, uh, Mount Fuji is in Japan, right? I think so. Or is it China? Oh, my goodness. What are we, Joe Rogan right now? <laughs> <laughs> hey, pull up where Mount Fuji is.
0: Jamie, where's Mount Fuji? Jamie,
1: pull up that video of the baboon fighting Mount Fuji.
0: Will rip your dick off.
1: Japan. Okay. Um,
0: it's, a, it's a really
1: famous painting. And if you look at it, it's like a beautiful piece of art. But the representation of it is to represent the 200 years that Japan was closed off in the rest of the world and their fear of the Western world destroying them. And like, you look at it and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. But then, like, you hear about the painting and it's like you find out that that painting came out of a time period where Japan was locked away for 200 years in solitude and all the art was self encapsulated. And they created those canvas screen art. And it all was created over a 200 year span in one country that was cut off from the rest of the world.
0: Did you study art in college? Or is this all stuff that you just kind of got into? I'm like one of those weirdos who knows a little bit about everything. Like yeah. I just get, I see one, th- I like
1: dive into stuff head first. Like if I like one thing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn everything about it this week. Yeah. And so, like, Until I got into I get art, sick of it.
0: I'm going to do nothing but this.
1: I don't get sick of it, though. I just keep learning more stuff about it. Like, I get, <laughs> so I keep accumulating like more knowledge because instead of like, I don't like this anymore. And moving on, I just add to it. Mm -hmm. So like I moved in here. Uh, I moved in with uh, my now ex-fiance. And when she when we split up and she left, I redesigned the entire apartment and got into art because I've always wanted to be into art. But I've always had to share a space with somebody. So I've never been able to express myself through my art. And once I started putting up art, I started being intrigued about what's the stories behind them. It's like some of these pieces are like original pieces. Some of them are like stuff I found in stores. Like, that little piece right up there is a piece uh, that a local artist did. I wish I knew the name of her. It's on there somewhere. But it was during the pandemic. And when everybody was, you know, selling all, like, their skills and their creativity to make money. Yeah. And I paid way too much money for that piece. But it's, like, some local artists. Or, like, this piece right here, which nobody can see anything that we're talking about. But this piece back here, the guy upstairs did for me. Because the kid upstairs, his name is Los The Artist on Instagram. He's a very talented, extremely talented artist. I bought this canvas, I gave it to him, and I paid him three hundred dollars and I said, just paint me anything. And he painted me that and it could not better encapsulate like me or the vibe in here or my personality. And there's a bunch of other like custom pieces in here too that I just Before
0: I leave, I'm gonna snap some pictures of the art and then when the thing comes out I'll I'll post that up with him.
1: Yeah. I mean, like some of the stuff, like I said, like that the dog and this and the piece that's in the bathroom are like store bought. But everything else is custom, um, including there's a great piece up there of me and my <laughs> daughter uh, that you'll have to look at before we leave that I really love. Wow. And then there's like a little animated drawing of me. Ben Bradshaw, a talented artist here in Grand Rapids, did that. Um, this little Prince guy I got at a fucking <laughs> swap meet somewhere. I don't <laughs> know, man. I love art. So I just started learning about it because I think that the stories behind stuff, it's just as compelling as, you know, the stuff itself. Yeah. Cause you can still interpret art however you want while still knowing what it's supposed to mean. Yeah. I think. I don't know, man. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> no, no. I know what you mean. Uh, like, but, it's, yeah. But yeah. I mean, so I, to we did the same really... thing
0: through, through literature because I was an English major in college. So you'd read something and then they'd be like, now look at it from a feminist perspective. Now look at it from a neo-colonialist perspective. Now let's look at it through the author's perspective. Yeah. And it's just like, oh shit, none, none of these three things line up. It's crazy. Yeah, it's How really something can be so multifaceted when it seems simple and just i mean know, music's the look. same way one of my
1: fa- favorite examples of how music is like the most fucking one of the most subjective things that there can be is when you look at the song i can't feel my face by the weekend yeah which is a beautiful great song great bop some people would say also a really deep song if you listen to the lyrics and it won a bunch the first of thing awards i
0: heard when i thought that was
1: he's talking about cocaine well, I mean, it won a ton of awards. It won the Grammys. It won a uh, Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award for best song. And yes, it's about cocaine addiction. But like, because if you don't know what cocaine addiction is or anything about it, you hear it, you think it's about love. Yeah. Because I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Like, he's just so numb from he's so love. Elated, but I love yeah. it. And it's like this guy, The Weeknd, is so fucking talented. He's made a song that is both about, can be to, marketed to kids and <laughs> win a Kids' Choice Award <laughs> right. for love. Yeah, and win a Grammy because it's literally about cocaine addiction. Yeah, so it's like that's why I love art, and I think art is so important <clears throat> and creative. And I think that we need to understand that art is supposed to be, you know, taken in this weird context where it's like it should be interpreted a thousand different ways. Yeah, because The Weekend isn't pissed that he won a Nickelodeon Kids Choice and a Grammy. He's just happy that everybody can accept what his art is. Yeah. Um, but that's why I know so much about all these different works of art is because I find the the work behind it interesting. I just find. The creative, that's why I agreed to do this per- podcast. I find the creative process extremely interesting. Yeah. Um, which is why I find humans, I find fucking the makeup of people and why we do things and all that shit interesting, which is what drove me into comedy. And the more, the deeper I got into comedy, which I've actually.
0: I like how you're steering it back around. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I've actually stepped away from comedy a lot in the last couple of months. I've been through a lot in the last like six months. And so I've really been like rediscovering myself and like changing myself and changing who I am. And I even changed my uh, profession on Instagram to arts and entertainment from a uh, comedian because I'm not just a comedian anymore. Like I, that's part of I, it. It's definitely part of it, and it definitely used to be a big part of it. And now yeah. it's a very small part of
0: who I am. Um, like for, do you think for the you know at least the close foreseeable future it'll stay that way? Yes. Or
1: um, I recorded my album uh, back in February, uh, which is coming out. Toward the end of this year oh awesome which is a collection of everything i've done up until that point in my life which february when i turned 35 the album will be called netflix special by 35 it's not being released on netflix um uh but through certain you know guerrilla marketing we're hoping to get there yeah. uh but um the point of the special is called netflix special by 35 and the reason it's called that is because my life up until 35 was I wanted to have a Netflix special by 35. That was the most important thing to me Mm. up until then, and my daughter, and like, no being alive and stuff right, but up until right, then right. it was like my life goal was to have a netflix but every time you saw me somewhere or on a program it was i'm, I'm well, that's how you get good at something you have to be
0: driven with high high lofty goals
1: yeah but then once i got to <clears throat> 35 and was gonna record my album on my 35th birthday no less and didn't have a netflix deal and realized that wasn't important to me yeah like i was like i don't care if i have a netflix deal because for one thing i've done everything i've wanted to accomplish in michigan comedy like i've done every club and i fucking i've done every room and i i've met everybody and i've i, I love it and it's fun and i love the scene i think it's great and i'm ready to move on to bigger things uh because my personality is bigger than like one place yeah um so i fucking sorry i keep this weed is like catching hold of me real quick um <laughs> so i uh so i understood that when i recorded that album that i didn't need to for it to be on netflix for me to feel fulfilled yeah so the idea of calling it netflix special by 35 is I turned 35 and realized that that chapter of my life is done. Like comedy being my life, like everything I had done up until that age. And I had had a lot of things, which I said, another episode conversation, but a lot of things happened to me in 2020, aside from the obvious, that led to a paradigm shift in who I am. And I completely changed, completely changed who I am as a person to the point where I knew comedy wasn't my number one passion. So when I was recording that album, I was taking solace in the fact that this is the last time I'm going to do any of these jokes, which they're great jokes, and it was hard to say no to doing them ever again. Yeah. But I knew I needed to stop doing them because that was the old me.
0: Well that and that's kind of the <clears throat> kind of the norm in comedy too. Like once you put something on permanent record, like you might pull a couple of the hits, but like as far as like that set is not That is not the
1: norm in comedy. That is the norm with Netflix special level comedians. That oh, is the so norm that's... with the Chappelle's, the Kevin Hart's, the Bill Burr's, everybody, I mean I would say everybody else, they'll just
0: like, they'll put a set out on YouTube or something like that and then just keep doing that. Set. There are
1: comedians that I respect and love and have worked with for years that have been doing the same jokes for the, and they're great jokes and they work and people come out to see those same jokes because they love those jokes. Yeah. And well, I mean, I mean I,
0: you hear about that like, I listen to um, a lot of comedians, podcasts, but especially tom segura's and he said the same thing like you know uh uh oh god i can't remember one of the comedians that well, he Bert opened Krasher. for
1: burt Kreischer does that the machine joke he does yeah. it almost every show yeah
0: people will get mad at him if he doesn't do that when he's a weird guy just all around Bert, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like um yeah i don't know i don't but know.
1: yeah i mean it's it so then um Once I finished that, I was like, okay, this is done. I really had to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Because, I mean, if you think of your life as I do, I'm an entertainer, so my life isn't a normal life. Like, you talk about the process, right? The creative process. Yeah. My creative process is literally just living my life. Like, I don't lock myself in a room and write ever. Like, I've never done that. I don't write down jokes. I don't. Like, I think Jerry Seinfeld says, you know, I sit in a room and I lock myself in a room for three hours a day and I write jokes. And he had yeah. that special where he had all of his jokes written out and it took up like a half a city block because he <laughs> kept every joke he ever wrote because he writes every word of every joke he does. Yeah. So he had them all. And I look at it and I, that is not my, I am I'm do as I say, not as I do, I guess, kind of comedian. Like, I can go up there and talk ad nauseum forever. I could talk for hours easily, still be engaging, still be funny, still be compelling. And never write a thing down. It has nothing to do with like confidence or arrogance. I just have a good
0: fucking memory. But before you even get up there and say it the first time, what's your process of like I'll write a I'll jot a, a note down. Say. Cause
1: I'll have an idea that I think is funny. Yeah. Or like I'll look at something or I'll have an observation. Cause all my comedy is observational. Yeah. Like very I will never go up and be like so airplane food. You know what I mean? I'm not that kind yeah. of comic. I, uh, I'll go up and I'll start telling a story or I'll start relating something to something that happened or a comic will tell something that happened on stage. I'll piggyback off of that and segue into my comedy about something else. It's all observational stuff. So it all comes to me organically. Mm-hmm. So I can't force myself to write my comedy because it has to happen organically. So my creative process is pretty much never saying no to anything. Like My creative process is... Going to a dive bar that just says "bar" on the outside, but every truck outside's a lifted pickup. But I want to go in because there could be a story in there. Like yeah. I'm the kind of guy who went to a fucking a Trump. I went to the Trump rally when yeah, he was I here. I heard that story. Like, like, like I, I, I fucking <laughs> I will do anything. Because I know that my comedy and my life experience and everything, and me as a person, will be better off because of it. And people keep asking me, every time they see me do comedy at an open mic, they're always like, every time I see you, you're doing new material. And I'm like, for one, I don't go to an open mic if I don't have new material. And I always have new material because I'm always doing stuff. Like, I always go, I mean,
0: if you look, at, <clears throat> you look around my apartment, like, you could spend hours in here looking at stuff. But you're oversimplifying it. Like, if you actually had to take it and say, okay... If I had to put into 10 steps, this is how I come up with the joke. Like first you just you see something where you just know, like, huh, something about this is funny. But then will you sit and like say it a couple times? Nope. I'm not oversimplifying this.
1: I this is my pro I literally I've always been able to fully form a thought at once, like instantly. So a a whole set comes to me at once. So I look at something. It'll happen. Maybe I'll say it to like a group of people. I'll be like, we'll be out and I'll say it as it's happening. Oh, look at this guy did this. And then I'll just start talking. (laughs) It's done. It's concise. It's formed. It's done. That's how I've always thought. And it's because I'm a child of pop culture. Like, I grew up watching movies. I grew up studying film. I grew up studying TV shows. I mean, I'm just, I know how to tell a story. So every time I look at something, I jot an idea down. Like, I have something like, Doc Brown touches something, electrify something, and say, "I thought of a seven-minute bit in the moment." Right? I'll write Doc Brown. That's the note I'll write down. I'll go to an open mic and I'll know the note. I won't look at it usually. I'll just say Doc Brown, and I'll just start talking at the open mic, and that's where I'll form the set. So I don't practice the joke before. I tried every technique for years. Like I tried everything that everybody said you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe like that's how creativity is like i just watched a ted talk with ethan well Hoffman. yeah there's no way that there's a one size fits all for anything but that's what comedy teaches you when you start it like it's toxic like the, the the mentality in comedy is you have to do everything this way and every comedian who's made it will tell you that's not how you make it like all the ones who have made it didn't do it the same way as everybody else and i've never done it the same way
0: well one of the things that you had said um just a second ago about the you know i'll come back three years later and that guy's still doing the same set or the same jokes um i've heard comedians on on podcasts talk about how there's guys that you know same same kind of person at every club that just shits on young comedians and tells them like oh you're never gonna make it or you know like you gotta do it this way it's the only way to do it because it's like you know they're they're stuck in a rut and they don't want you to get well it's always the old guy who never too, got better right? who says that yeah, 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 those, yeah. like that's the way, so is that that's is that where that is. comes from or i mean is that like even the it's, guys who It's a special like, no, 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 you've got to sit down with a pencil and so it's a trait that's
1: been passed down up until literally two years ago. Like the pandemic helped because people finally caught up to what I mean, what I've been doing for my whole career. Like I've never followed the same path as anybody because I've never wanted to. I didn't like the way it looked. Yeah. Um it seemed like it wasn't a path that was made for somebody like me. So I especially in stand-up, I mean, where I I operate in a white male-dominated field. Like the hierarchy pretty much goes white men, white women everybody else like and it's a huge gap between us Um, because I mean I I always compare it to people like when I go to work imagine going to your place of work every time you work and you are always the only person like if you're a white man you're always the only white man there the only one everybody else there is somebody else if you're a white woman if you're a black man like, like whatever you are you're the only version of that that's me every time I go to work I'm the only black person in the room there's men there. There's women there. Usually, it's all white people.
0: Is that just a Midwest thing, though? Because, nope. like, I I mean, I the bills like... that uh, my friend Chanel is on, and it's... So, if you go oh, to, like, a comedy club, if you go to a
1: real comedy club in a city, I mean, yeah. New York, LA, Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia, everything else is pretty much toss-up. But, I mean, most of the shows, unless you're in a real comedy club...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most
1: of the shows you're doing are for white crowds, because... Unless you're in like a black room in like, you know, a black city. Yeah. But I mean, the most high paying gigs aren't really in those rooms for the most part. Um, and especially when you live in the Midwest, mm. you got to travel pretty far to get anywhere with any kind of diversity. Yeah, um, Two and a half hours in any direction will get you diversity, but it's two and a half hours in any direction. <laughs> right, 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 um, right, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But right.
1: Uh, but I digress.
0: <laughs> I'm going to ask you.
1: Oh, this- oh, 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 oh. The um simple oversimplifying the process, um,
0: because I mean I understand I, where I up, you're talking about your jokes, but as far as like building a set, because what's the what's the longest uh set you've done an hour? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you're gonna go up there and do an hour, like you can't just go like, oh, you know what? I'll tell like these five stories. You do you have like the stories kind of figured out i'll tell this one first and this one last and kinda... i mean i figure
1: it out but like just in my head and usually i don't even do it i don't have an order no i never have an order so you don't I go know... up with even like a mental set list or i know i know what joke i'm going to open with yeah. and i know what joke i'm going to close with and i know all i know every other joke i've ever told like i don't i they're all up here yeah so i know the beginning and i know the end the problem with me and trying to like make sure i know like I got to do this set and this set and this set. It's I like to talk to the crowd. I like to see where the show goes organically. That's part of why I'm so good at comedy. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like, I'm really good at it. And part of the reason is I'm really good at reading a room. Like, I'm fucking... Like I said, I've studied humans. Like, I know people react. Like, if the crowd's not liking this, I'll go this direction. If someone's being weird, I'll go this way. If I want to talk to this person or this person. When you're a slave to a set, you can't have that flexibility because... If I set an hour and it's a tight hour, Mm. I can't talk to anybody. I can't look at you and talk to you for two minutes because now I'm over time. And if it's the first show of the night, the club's got to reset for the second show. So if I go over my time, the manager's pissed at me. Because yeah. then the servers Got to fucking bust their ass To turn the club over mm-hmm. So like It comes to this point Where I just Stopped doing that Like I tried like thinking Oh I'll do this that, and then, then, then this. But then I was like No my personality Doesn't fit that Like I'm not that kind of guy I go off yeah. on tangents But Or I'm, see that
0: guy Wearing a weird hat and like, What the fuck's your deal buddy <laughs> I mean sometimes I will But
1: <laughs> but the the thing is It's like improv I'm always able to bring it back yeah. Like no matter what Like you'll see people Get lost with hecklers Because they don't know How to bring it back To what they were talking about yeah. Like I'm always looking For the joke While I'm having a conversation Like I'm talking to to you right now and I'm formulating where I'm going to be able to get this thing back to where we we're talking and now we're connected back to my joke and we're done talking and back to this And so that's how I'm talking to hecklers I'm talking to them saying words while acknowledging I've got to fit this back into my set but when you've got you know 30 minutes to play with you're able to do that kind of stuff so I know I'm gonna open with this and I know I'm gonna end with this and I know mm-hmm. the opening joke is gonna definitely call or the closing jokes gonna call back to the opening joke and as long as everything in between there all connects you've got a set and I am not exaggerating when I say like, it's that easy for me. Yeah. Like I'm, I've always been a great talker. I've mm-hmm. always been a great storyteller and it just made comedy so much easier
0: for me. Um, well, it seems like you've got a mind for just kind of like puzzles too, in general. Like they're going to like, Ooh, how like can I make this- dinosaur
1: dig kit or my thousand piece 3d puzzle? Over
0: there? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Or, you know, even Jenga, that's a perfect example. Like, How can I take this and put it here and make it all work still? It's part of the fun. It's definitely part of the challenge for me. It's like
1: like last night. So last night I was at Pyramid Scheme and I did 15 minutes and it's the first time I did it's the first time I did I'm working on a new 30 minutes because I'm headlining the show on August 20th at Millennium Park called uh, Peaches in the Park. It is the end of summer celebration. Twenty dollars a ticket gets you a chance to see me do amazing stuff on the microphone. But I've been working on that 30 minutes, which is my brand new 30 minutes to start for working on my if I ever do another album again. Um, and so been doing that, I tried out 15 of that minutes last night at pyramid scheme. <laughs> went really well. Um, first time
0: doing it in front of people.
1: It was my first time doing the whole 15 together. Yeah. So I've done it in bits and pieces at different open mics, yeah, but I haven't combined it all, right. And I hadn't I didn't come up with how to combine it all until an hour before the show. Like I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just sitting here like playing a video game or some shit, and it just kind of came. Mm-hmm. and like the whole set, the whole 15 minute set all came together. And I didn't even like practice it before I went on stage. But then I went out there and I did actually did 15 and a half minutes, but went out there and did the tight 15 minute set, I even had a little bit of wiggle room to talk to somebody in the crowd. And that's just how my process is. Like, I don't know how to describe it. I can't explain it. Like, I don't have, you can look at any notepad. I don't have anything written down ever from any of my comedy. And I know every joke I've ever told from this beginning. And I've. it's just
0: Did that help you in like school? That. Like, were you the kind of person who no? Could, like, here's well, something, read didn't something, read something and just school. remember
1: it? because I was so good at schoolwork. I got done with schoolwork so quickly that I just fucking talked all day. I got in so much trouble all the time. I was always in trouble. It perlated into me being a big-ass prankster in school Yeah. because I would just... By the time a year comes around, you got like four fucking classes and a bunch of free periods. And when I'm in class, I'm done with all my work in 20 minutes. Yeah. So maybe I taped a fucking fire machine under the teacher's desk and started fucking playing with it. Maybe I went into the hall and ordered a pizza and had it delivered to me. Maybe I fucking bought a Santa Claus with a microphone attached attaches to it and then you talk into it, the Santa Claus mouth moves. <laughs> and maybe I put it on the outside of the auditorium door so I could hide on the inside with a two-way mirror and just talk to people as they pass by. Maybe I did things like this. Maybe I brought a boombox in and got in the dance battles with teachers. Maybe I did things like this <laughs> because I process things so quickly. So it's like a gift and a curse. The problem is I'm so good and so quick at getting things done that I have to fill my time up with other stuff. And when you're a creative person, you fill it up with creative shit. Like, yeah so people, like, I always tell people I like to give them Mike Logan experiences when they hang out with me because I like to live my life pretty extremely. <laughs> and so, I mean, I tell people, and it's usually in the middle of the moment when they'll be like, I'm having a Mike Logan experience right now. And it's like, yeah, like, I was I was hanging out with a lady one time, and uh, I don't know if anybody here is into recreational drugs, but every couple of months I like to have a little bit of Molly, a little MDMA. Yeah. Um, and it's fun if you do it responsibly. I like to do it responsibly in a controlled environment. I like the next day recover with some fruits and water and fluids and stuff and be nice about it. And do it every couple of months if you're gonna do it. But if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Anyway, someone, a woman texted me and says, I've always wanted to try it. I want to try it with you. I was like, sweet, let's fucking do it. That sounds fun. I was like, we got rules. I'm like, I was like, if I'm gonna, I'm 35, I do drugs responsibly. Yep. I'm like, you gotta follow all these rules. We do that, it'll be fine. She's like, cool. The day I'll we get to do it, she comes over. I said, Listen, I'm sorry, I completely forgot to tell you about this. I'm having a watch party for WrestleMania here today, <laughs> so I've got TVs in every room, in the bathroom, and I got TVs everywhere. And I'm like, I got a bunch of people coming over. Are you okay with this? She's like, Oh my god, it's so much fun. So then a bunch of people come. Oh, I learned about this painting the other day. Actually, this is a Van Gogh painting. It's a really good one, but the story behind it's really interesting. Um, also, the sorry, um, I have my TVs for anyone who doesn't know, I have a big old TV in the living room. It's on the wall, and I have a screensaver that's just playing like classical um, art. And so every time I keep getting glances of pieces that I know and I want to tell the stories about them. But yeah. um
0: My TV at home has a screensaver of street art.
1: Nice. Oh, that's a good one. I should go
0: next. Yeah. Sometimes so, I just get caught looking at it, too. We're sitting there
1: and we watched the whole WrestleMania thing. It's you know four or five hours long. It's wrestling. It's a long ass time. We have a great fucking time. I got like a room. I got my bedroom set up for like a um, like an atmosphere check. If she gets all freaked out, I yeah. everybody else at that, that room's off limits. It was like incense, candles in there. It was like music playing. I'm like, if you ever get freaked out, just go in there. Nobody else besides me or you are allowed in there. She's like, great. It was all fucking it's perfect. your whole panic room and just atmosphere be- ready to go. It was beautiful, man. Then you know, night clears up. We're sitting in here. It's like three thirty in the morning. We're just watching. We're just uh, staring at some fish just smiling just, just having a good time looking at some fish floating around and she's like you know Mike I gotta be disappointed I was like what and she's like I thought I was gonna get a Mike Logan story I didn't really get a Mike Logan story I was like you didn't get a Mike Logan story what are you ta- you just watched Wrestlemania <laughs> with a bunch of strangers while on Molly and now it's 3.30 in the morning we're just sitting there staring at fish we've been staring at this fish for 35 minutes and they're not even real fish she just goes wait those aren't real fish points to my TV she says wait those aren't real fish <laughs> I'm like, no, we've been watching a screensaver for 35 minutes. And she's like, is this my mom? I'm like, yeah. It's like that. And I was reminded of that quote. And I'm like, I'm very much about living in the moment and being present, right? Yeah. And so I'm a very adamant about i don't like people being on their phones around me like i'm like if we're gonna hang out like let's fucking hang out let's live here right now let's have this moment if you want to take a picture take a picture fucking chill but like let's not you know be this person uh-huh yeah uh-huh. let's not do that shit yeah and we so- were up
0: north with family recently and i walk in the room and everyone's either on their phone or like watching the olympics it's like <sighs> isn't it nice to get up north get away and like,
1: get on your devices just do the same thing you were doing but alone I'm kidding, (laughs) surrounded by people? it's just You're uh, doing the same thing, you're just an hour north. I don't get it, I don't get it. But yeah, I mean, I force people to be present around me because like, I think that, I don't know, it's kind of selfish, but I think it's a chaotic good.
0: (laughs) Or I'm like, you should experience this life experience if we're
1: going to experience it, you know?
0: Um, Because too many people, man, it's too easy to tune out and you look and be like, oh, Jesus, I was just on Instagram for an hour and 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. I have an app blocker on my phone that I have to
1: (laughs) utilize for hours at a day. Like, I'll have to put it on for six or seven hours yeah and i've got almost all my important vital apps in that blocker where it'll be seven hours where i just can't use it and i have to do that because
0: like that's good because i've got one that just tells me like your time is up but then i can be like give me 15 more minutes or just ignore it for the day oh mine is um i have mine set on strict mode where I,
1: should, I cannot disable I it that. <laughs> i had to during because my work, I did that same my shit. work hours I, was, I mean i don't have work
0: hours like you know entertainment doesn't have work hours so like i couldn't turn my phone i off. got kids though so i've got to. I've got to compartmentalize when I do things, which is kind of a bummer because I'd rather like there was times when I was finishing up the, my first book where I just went to a friend's house for a weekend and I was like, Hey man, let's hang out a little bit, you know, at night and I'll just sit on your couch and write during the day. And they're like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I would just go and sit there and, you know, just (laughs) kind of an idea, you know, but yeah, I'm not the kind of like, I'm just going to sit here and fucking grind it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like to think about things. People be like, you know, hey, have you written uh, anything in the last week? I'm like, I've got like two pages down, but I've got like eight in my head. I'm just going to go for a run and then I'll come back and get it all out. So, yeah, I'll like store up my ideas and then purge them all out of me. I mean, I always tell non-creative people, which is not an insult, by the
1: way. I call them normies. <laughs> like, <laughs> normies. I always just,
0: but you know what I mean. Like yeah, nine yeah, yeah. to five people. Like well, people the people who, that would straight up tell you, like, oh, I'm not creative. I couldn't do that. Yeah, kind of stuff. like you could, you just don't. Those
1: kinds of people
0: don't. You know, I don't. You know what?
1: I don't think they I don't. I think you're either born with creativity or you're not. I don't think you. People who say like, I could be creative. You would be if you could be. It's they like used, that idea. They it's used
0: a, to play with crayons and finger paint too. Yeah, but you, but there's you grow
1: out of that. Like you grow out of it, and I think you grow
0: out of it because it's not really part of you. You just do it because or, everybody else does. I, it. I think it's a muscle that. Yeah, you either like they you either can't it ignore you. it. You're just a creative freak, and you have to create stuff. Or you know you're very encouraged and nourished along the way. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we're very much like crayons are put
1: in front of us, and creativity is given to us as an option from birth. Mm-hmm. And you are, try it this is another thing from this ted talk i was just saying about ethan hawk did but you try it because kids will try anything kids will do anything that's thrown at them because you're still learning everything yeah and then eventually you figure out either you are creative or you're not creative but everybody colors as a kid because we're all told to and then you figure out whether or not you like it or not either you're good at it you're bad at it you want to get better at it you don't want to you know that's how you figure out you are creative i personally think that you're just creative or you're not creative because i've people will tell you the blue until they die that Oh, I want to go skydiving. I can't wait to do this. I'm going to do that. And they put it off yeah. their entire lives. And it's just because they're not that person, which yeah. is fine.
0: Like not everybody is that if everybody was creative, nobody would be creative. We would all just be the same person. Maybe that's the difference between creative people and non-creative people is some people have a list of things they want to do. And some people have a list of things they wish they could do. Some people have a list of things that they like. I want to do some shit and I'm. Actively doing it, or you know, trying to figure out how to do it, and then there's some people that you know, oh well, so someday I'll do that, or you know, maybe in a couple of years when things settle down, or you know, like like you said, they'll just keep pushing it down. Like, mm-hmm. was it life? Is that thing that? Oh, what is it? There's like a mod, a quote.
1: Or it's about life is the thing that you plan to do or some shit. Oh, what happens when your plans
0: fall apart or something like that? I, mean, I know what you're talking it's about. It's like
1: everybody keeps saving up for stuff or keep planning things, but they never do anything. And it's like fucking take the vacation, live your life. I think I was watching Shark Tank one time and uh, uh, the black guy, I can't remember his name right now, was uh, talking to some college kids and they were talking about he has The black guy, why the can't
0: the he be the well-dressed guy? Because <laughs> they're all well-dressed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh... It can't be the white guy, because there's three white guys. It can't <laughs> be the woman, because there's two women. <laughs> He's the only black guy. Damien, Davia, Darius, something. Something black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damien. Um, oh, not Brad. Okay. He says to a college kid, what are you going to do if you know when you get this you know, value, when we get this money? The thing takes off. What are you going to do? They said, well, first profit, what are you going to do? I'm going to pay off my student debt. He said, don't do that he said don't do that all of them said don't do that Mark Cuban fucking the, the Mr. Wonderful whatever they all said don't do that travel learn something fucking do a trade get a skill do something that's going to actually improve your life yeah. because debt will be follow you forever student debt will be they're never going to you're not going to go to jail for student debt no <laughs> one's going to come to your fucking house and arrest you for student debt your credit score may take a hit but guess what you learn a life skill you get a trade you do something you make better of yourself you find a passion you make money doing that and then you pay off your student debt you live your life and then you do that. You don't spend your entire life hoping you get to do something or wishing you get to do something or saying you're gonna do something and then fucking you're in deathbed your deathbed and you regret it. Or you lose your legs in a fucking freak accident and you can't yeah. run that marathon anymore or your fucking heart gets broken and you can't skydive anymore. You know, what I mean there's all these things that like your life is really finite and really short. Like so insignificantly short. Out of the entirety of like the span of our existence. Yeah. And you want to tell me you're gonna wait till next week to try the new restaurant? Bro, what? Go there <laughs> today. Like it doesn't make any sense. What if you get it by a car tomorrow? Yeah. Like, you can't live your life like afraid of living your life. So that's yeah. why I live my life and force my friends. Like, if we're gonna live our lives, we're gonna live our lives. Like, if you're telling me I want to go do this thing, what do you gotta do the next two hours? Nothing. Let's go fucking do that thing. Yeah. Well, my friend uh, Angelica, uh, uh, i got a couple of friends coming to watch a movie today. Um, I say to her, I'm like, you got two hours to spare today? Oh, you know, I'm free from three to five, but um, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I was like, well, I'm going to ask people over to watch Suicide Squad. You should come over. Oh, I do want to see that. I really want to see that, but I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, you're free from three to five, right? <laughs> you want to. You she's can. like, "What's the problem?" well, yeah. And I was like, okay, it's two hours long. And she's like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, well. Just come over. let like, Just do it. She's like, "All right. That's like, all it takes." That's all it takes, man. Like I picked I went up north to pick up my friend Hannah. Uh she was working on a shorts on a farm up there and uh I picked her up from her farm and she's like, "Can you give me a ride back home? so We can shower, go we'll do some stuff." I was like, "Sure." Or she can shower not we. Uh, I go pick her up. I pick her up and we start driving and I see this like cool-looking restaurant on a pier. It's up in uh, uh Traverse City. And I'm like, "Oh, that's a dope-looking restaurant." She's like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to go there. Every time I leave here, I always like, go drive by there and I never stop. And I was just like, skirt! She's <laughs> like, what are you doing? I was like, we're fucking going there. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I don't want to go there right now. And I was like, why not? And she's like, well weren't we going to hang out? And I'm like, well, let's hang out in there. Like, We'll <laughs> sit together. What are going to like, leave you or something. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone's so afraid of like, what if, like, well, what if this? They're like, what? it's like, do it right the fuck yeah. now. Like, that's like, I didn't mean, get do it right the fuck now. Like, that,
0: get a shirt. but Maybe that I was thinking about changing the name of my podcast. Maybe I'll just do it right, do the, it fuck right now. the fuck now. I mean, just do it like, what's because that point? that's ultimately, I don't know really how else to, how else to motivate people except to show them like, Normal people do cool creative stuff and this is how they do it. And this is like, you know, how normal they are. You know well, what I mean? That brings it back to the
1: literally what we started this entire thing like fifty minutes ago. It brings it back <laughs> to the first question that I forgot, which was don't walk up to somebody and ask them, How do I start doing comedy? <laughs> Fucking do it. Yeah. Just go do it. Like it's like, how do you start doing it? Sign up. People come up to me my own comedy show. When I used to run open mics, I don't do that anymore. Right? can't <laughs> like when i used to run open mics um i'd have so many people walk to me so every single week i'd love to start comedy you know everybody was telling me they talk my fucking ear off five minutes about how goddamn funny they are oh i'm so funny <laughs> at work i'm like just do stand up i should do stand up all my friends tell me should do, oh, me do it oh, i really want to do it come to me next week walk up to me and ask to sign up we have two show up go up spots every week i'll give you a spot oh, i can't do that it's like well no, you don't want to do it then and that's what yeah. i feel about creativity like you are creative or you're not they like,
0: wish they could or they
1: want straight to up. Like, I wish they could. They're those all that can't do, coach, You know, <laughs> like, I have to pee real quick.
0: Yeah. No. Go ahead. <laughs> now we should have listened to where we were before we left off. I can't remember at all what we talked about last. Um,
1: I pretty much just wrapped everything up about, um, not asking comics, just do it and do it. We're talking about living your life and I'll keep people yes, um, yes. present when they hang out with me because, uh, uh, you well, know, just cause that's how I think people should live.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with that too. Um, and yeah, like I said, this podcast and when I was talking to Kirk on, uh, from a talk in the attic, another fantastic episode of, uh, that show is the ice cold comedians interview. Um, we when we talked to each other on my podcast kind of said like we think that our podcasts are almost kind of like our midlife crises like because both of us are like you know we were he was an engineer i was a middle school teacher and we both hit this thing where we're just like we don't want to do this and our wives were like that's cool. Do what you want to do. So, you know, I started writing and I was like, Hey, I can actually make some money doing this. And I've got a book with a publisher now. That's awesome. Nice. Kirk's got a whole business going, making podcasts for other people. And he's really good at like all the video and um, Instagram promotion and all, all that stuff too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes you just need like, I don't know, I guess in our case, it was probably a, a woman that kicks you in the ass and goes like, you know, you can do this. Just go do it. Um, but yeah, I had lived a lot of my life, man, thinking like, uh, you know, I don't know what if people don't like it or what if somebody sees my writing and is just like, this is terrible. Are you serious with this? Which like some people who's... will, like, that's the thing is like, some, <laughs> some people, people might tell you that. Yeah. Oh, uh, they'll,
1: they'll happen. Like that's, I mean, that's the thing about being, well, like once it's creator. actually
0: out there, but if you're just like asking friends or like somebody to like consider looking at it for publishing, not too many people would be like, dude, this really sucks. They might. <laughs> I mean, comedy a really a good friend might... Because
1: <laughs> in comedy, I know, they will not have... Well, community will not hesitate to be like, that set sucked.
0: <laughs> well, that's the nice thing about comedy versus, I guess, writing like I do or maybe even like painting or something where it's, you know, you have to make the finished product and then go here to somebody else rather than like yeah. deliver it to the person in the moment. Um, you You can kind of get the benefit like Shakespeare did of like, I performed this everything went well except for this part. So I should do this part a little bit differently, but yeah, you write a novel, you put it out there and it's like, yeah, they going to stand or it's not, you do get too many chances of those
1: things where it's one of those things where when you read a review or like uh, you write a book and it gets like, you know, slammed, right. Yeah. Uh, you can like not look at the review or like not hear the critique, but like when you're on stage, like you have to stare at somebody that doesn't like you while they're not liking you
0: while you have to continue going. <laughs> and it's like you start talking and i've i was gonna say do you address it like if somebody's just scowling at you are you like i'm sorry you're not having a good time right now it depends
1: uh if i'm doing a show where like everything is crushing like which which is the majority of the shows i do i do well um (laughs) so i don't really take into account somebody not being upset because i can usually get them i'll usually just start telling jokes the same jokes i've been doing but i'll just look at them yeah. And you get them more involved. A lot of people don't want to be upset at comedy shows. And they don't want to not like what's happening. And what I found, and this is kind of a cheat into my playbook, is I don't tend to like, if you're sitting in the front row, arms crossed. First thing I'm going to do is not call you out for doing that. I'm not going to be like, well, you don't like this shit? I'm not going to do that. Because like, I get you're not you're allowed to not like my shit. Like, I'm not going to yeah. tell you not to like my shit.
0: Um, (laughs) Oh, you don't think I'm funny? (laughs) Asshole.
1: What I'll do is I'll start making all my punchlines and with eye contact with that person. So like that way they become part of the show. So like whether they like it or not, the comedy, they still feel a connection with me. So like, you know, the joke is going to be blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and that's how she cooks the food for me. Am I right? And then they'll have to be like, "Hmm, all right. Like, you know, they'll start to slowly, by, you know, 10 minutes of doing that to somebody, they're usually on your side again. But every now and then, every now and then, there's somebody... Uh, the you the know. friend
0: in the group who really didn't want to go to the comedy show. Yeah. Or the... uh,
1: and that doesn't come out often <laughs> in like professional settings just because people paid money to see comedy at those uh, occasions. It happens more at open mics. Like you'll go to an open mic and sometimes people don't even know there's going to be a comedy show. So <laughs> they're uh, really pissed off. <laughs> uh, I used to, have, I had a meme I made like two years ago and it was that scene. And um, holy shit, I used to have that painting on my wall. My ex fiance's uh, mother painted it.
0: I wonder what the story is with the lonely person coming out of the wood.
1: Huh, I don't know. I used to hang up on this wall right here with this that like, gold piece now.
0: Huh. Um, shit. <laughs> oh. Um, nope. What was it? No, we were talking, not heckling. Um, one person. You engaging that one person. Yeah. And just. Yeah. i um, talking so yeah, to them. Uh, but I've, I've
1: only given up on a crowd once ever. Uh ever. And it was in Roseville. When you say
0: giving up, do you mean like oh, I walk off before oh, your I time up was up? I gave up on him.
1: I was in Roseville, Michigan. Um, I, I brought uh, a guy to open me, uh, Michael Buster, a really funny local comic. Uh he I brought him with me to open. And we get to the venue and it's packed. It's like a big, huge, like long venue, like a kind of like a strip mall kind of bar venue, like where it goes all the way to the back of the room kind of thing. Did I come and plug? No, um and then oh there's more bango. um water lilies <laughs> um <laughs> people are just go what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um wait this is not Van Gogh. water lilies is like a monet yes there we go thank you um i want to see that you ever heard of like the installation of water lilies like how big it actually is no, it's like a eight panel installation that that each panel is I think like twenty feet long, and then it takes up. They built an entire like mausoleum that houses just the print or just the canvas, and it was his last. It was Monet's last work, and it's unfinished. Do you want to know why it's unfinished? Because
0: <laughs> he died first. Because he didn't want to finish it, so he died before he could. Because. It... <laughs> Literally. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's what that's what I said, but you just worded
1: it differently. So he deliberately died so that he couldn't finish it. Like he killed himself? He didn't kill himself, but he just worked until he died. Uh he promised them <laughs> that he'd finish it, but he it was the last work he painted. He was like, you know, late eighties. At that point he was very wealthy, very famous, didn't need to do any more art. But uh another famous artist who was his rival in France, um, donated some works to the country of France upon his deathbed. So to one up him, uh, Monet asked, or was asked to do some works. So to one-up him, he decides to make this great piece called Water Lilies. Uh, when he starts it, he didn't want to do it. Um, he did it as a service to the country because he's a very huge patriot. Um, but once he started doing it, he realized he was falling in love with it. Um and once he started of falling in love with it, he didn't want to give it away. <laughs> so once he got done with one panel, uh, he brought them in to show it to them, and then it took him years to finish the rest of the panels. So the building itself, which housed the panels, was finished for three years before it even housed anything because he refused to finish his works. And every time they'd ask him about finishing it, he would just prolong it, prolong it, prolong it, prolong it. And he was in such old, poor health he he just died. If you ever, if anybody ever gets to go see Water Lilies live, I can't wait to go see it in person but um, there's a corner piece on Sunset because it's supposed to represent like an entire day since it's the last panel and the bottom right corner of it is unfinished and it's not even signed
2: huh.
1: but I digress <laughs> one person in the room uh, I'm in Roseville Michigan we get there it's packed um, and I know just from a guy who's been you know, running shows a long time uh, been doing comedy a long time I know when I walk into a room if the people in that room knew there was going to be a comedy show you know like you could tell like, they're in the middle of dinner. They just got food. There's kids there. Like, I'm looking around, I'm like, there's like 300 people in this room. And I'm like, this is gonna be awful because the stage is at the front of the bar. And this <laughs> isn't a wide bar, it's a deep bar. So now I gotta try and contend with the back of the bar all the way up to the front of the bar. I get at the back, I go to the booker. I'm like, hey, man, what's, uh, do they all know it's gonna be a comedy show? I see a lot of kids here. I'm like, what's the deal? He's like, oh, they know, they know. And I look <laughs> at him and I'm like, did you announce it in the microphone? Well, you know, there's a banner up there. I'm like, do you have any idea how unobservant people are? Like nobody, I guarantee <laughs> people don't know there's going to be a comedy show. And I was like, can you just do me a favor? I'm the headliner. So I'm like, can you just do me a favor and just like give him an announcement and give them a 10 minute warning? So they, you know, he's like, oh, I can do it, but I'll tell you, they know, they know. He goes up there. Uh, Attention everybody. wanna so let you know we're about 10 minutes away from the comedy show. First ever comedy show here. I'm like, fuck, this is the first show here. I didn't know. I had no idea. He's like, first ever show here. Uh, Just want to let you all know, you know, it's going to be an R rated show. So I uh, hope you're here for, ready for laughs. Then someone start, guys starts yelling at him from the, the we didn't know he was going to be a comedy show here. Oh, yep. Then he starts talking to people in the crowd, right? And the show hasn't even started yet. So I'm like, this guy's already establishing a relationship that it's okay to talk to her in this show. <laughs> That's what he's doing. <laughs> I That's didn't what he's think doing. That. That's what he's doing. That's what you yeah. do. Now, if anybody ever gets into comedy and you become a host of a show, don't fucking talk to the crowd. Like, they Comedy clubs will be like, comedy clubs will tell you to talk to the crowd to get them all like hype and stuff. But one thing you need to do is let the crowd know that that is not okay to do moving forward. Because the host can do that, but the crowd thinks that that is now carte blanche to say whatever the fuck they want to every comic
0: the rest of the
2: show. It's part of the show. I'm making which, it better.
0: Which is amazing to me how many people don't understand the dynamic. <sighs> it's like three every show.
1: But he goes back and I say, I was like, yeah, I don't think they knew that. He's like, yeah, I don't think they knew either. I'm like, I don't what you, think. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking think Bustler so. goes up there and just suffers through 15 minutes or yeah, 15 minutes of his really good comedy that people just weren't there for. I mean, maybe the first, I'd say there are about 100 active listeners out of the 300 people there. And they were about the first 100 people in the front minus one table next to the stage of a woman who hated him like did not (laughs) like anything he had to say at one point told him he needed to die like it was brutal to watch it was really bad like she kept it was rough people went straight to like you should die just this one woman she just kept saying it like she just hated this she hated bustler um so i'm up there i'm getting mad Like, like i'm gonna have to and like, you know, his job is to buffer the crowd for me. Like, that's an opener's job, you know? Yeah. Was, yeah. They're supposed to be like ready to laugh. Like, I'm not supposed to have to do any work. Yeah, people in a laughing mood. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm like, I gotta fucking work. Right? He's doing his A material and it's fucking falling on deaf ears. The people who can hear are laughing. Yeah. But that's not the majority of the room. So I go up and the first thing I do is I say, You don't say a fucking word to me, the woman <laughs> to the right. And she's like, I didn't plan on it. And I was like, Really? You didn't? And then she's like, Nope. I was like, Okay, so then like, I like moved on. <laughs> I started doing my comedy and shit, right? And the first, like that interaction, that initial interaction gets the whole room's attention. So I'm like, shit, I got him, right? So I start talking to the back of the room. I'm like, hey, back of the room, how are we doing back there? Huh? And they're like, oh, play a pool, we're great. Right? I get the back of the room on my side. I'm like, all right, work my way fucking forward. The front of the room's already in. I don't need to work them. Let's get the fucking back of the room. I get to like the middle of the room. I get to this table full of drunk guys. And I get to them and I just say, how are you guys doing tonight? We're just looking for some pussy. And I was like, oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> that was a mistake. And then, like, <laughs> the whole place, like, thinks that's hilarious. And they all try having their own little conversations. And I lose the entire room. Uh, and So I'm like, oh, shit. So then I start battling for the next 30. I'm supposed to do an hour. The next 30 minutes, I'm battling. And I'm just looking around. I'm looking around. I'm doing, like, I switched my closer, the end closer, to, like, the beginning of the show. Just to try and, like, get some traction going. And like, you know, these hundred people, they're all into it and stuff. And I'm just like, I'm looking around and it's battling. And you've got people that are listening, yelling, people who aren't listening. And then you've got people who are listening annoyed. And the woman to the right is yelling again. <laughs> people in the back are playing pool loudly now. And it's just, it's fucking, I'm just, I look at the room. I'm like, I was supposed to do an hour here, but I got to be honest. This has got to be the worst fucking room and the worst crowd. <laughs> i've ever done not you all <laughs> I'm like i'm like you hunt. Ha- you all are amazing <laughs> fuck you fuck you like, you're cool I was they're all like thank you they're like you were great like and then the rest of, i was like everybody else can fucking kiss my ass this fucking sucks like you <laughs> knew there was gonna be a comedy show after he announced it. you could have fucking left you all chose to stay here and like <sighs> be under unattain- so then i walk on stage and i'm like i'm not getting paid like there's no fucking way <laughs> <laughs> right. So I look at Bustler and I'm like Are we got to get paid to get the fuck out of here man So I go to the back and I'm like just follow my lead <laughs> I go to the back the Because I realize I may have just fucked him over too yeah. But like I don't We shouldn't have had to put up with that Like I was yeah. like they don't deserve the rest of this show Because I'm not a fucking monkey like a puppet You know what I mean yeah. Yeah. Like you don't get to like disrespect the process of the art The crap or whatever it is And then like I'm gonna give you the rest of my credit. No I complimented the people who listened And I said this isn't about you guys but they can all fucking kiss my. And then I was like, because like, I had great stuff I could have done. Like you could have had a really good time. Yeah. And like when you heard there's a comedy show, you could have laughed. Right. So I go to the back and I'm like, I'm like mentally I'm juggling, like I said. I'm always fully formed with my whole I'm playing out how this is gonna work with this guy. I'm running through every scenario, I'm using my future vision to think of everything he's gonna say to me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I got all this shit bagged up, right? I get to the back, guy is stuffing his face full of chicken wings, right? Just like covered in barbecue. Like the most cliche like fucking if he had a lobster (laughs) bib on, I wouldn't have been surprised. Just like oh you're done? Oh, great job. Great job. Here's your check. Oh, this guy clearly didn't watch the show we just put on. So I was like, all right, let's go. And he just fucking left. Never talked to him again.
0: You never but went. You never wanted to go back there, huh? I didn't. There's a lot of rooms.
1: I uh, there's a lot of comics who like comedians will put up with like just doing venues that they hate. Yeah, it's like those the only things to do. The best advice I ever got in my entire career was from Robert Jenkins. I'm just name dropping everybody of all my friends. Robert Jenkins is a great hilarious comedian out of Lansing, Michigan. Um, and he said to me a couple of years ago, uh, he just says to me because uh, I was doing a venue called the Holly Hotel. I'll blast all these places. The place fucking sucks if you're a black entertainer, period. Like, it's all old ass, geriatric white people. Mm. And it's not even a hotel. It's a place called the Holly Hotel in Holly, Michigan. And you perform in the basement of it, and it's just a restaurant, and they only serve dinner. And it's a historic hotel, and that's the kind of place that only attracts fucking old ass, white haired people, right? Yeah. So I asked We've been
0: the- going here since it just opened
1: we been going there since it was a hotel. <laughs> so I mean I get to the venue and the first thing I do is go to the bar next door because I can't eat there because they only give meals to the headliner. But if the headliner allows it, the feature gets to have their soup or salad. It's a running joke in the comedy scene in Michigan. If you do the Holly Hotel and you feature, the joke is, you're gonna get the soup and salad. Like it's so bad. Like it's so <laughs> But everybody loves it. It's a, week, it's a weekend show. So they get to put it on their credit as we did a weekend somewhere. So everybody loves that fucking whatever. <laughs> I first, I did the show with Zach Martina, a really funny guy out of Detroit. Um, and we both struggled during the show. We're both really good professional comedians. Like I'm a headlining comedian who was featuring, he's a headliner who was headlining. And we both had a hard time. And I opened with, because I went to the bar next door beforehand, and some dude just said a bunch of racist shit to me while I was sitting there. Um, so I went next door, opened my setup with that story. <laughs> Sit at your bar next door, this guy looks me. I'll tell the story. It's I'm sitting there, and I don't like talking to people in small towns when I go there because I'm eccentric. I dress like people want to talk to me because it's the way I look, and like I'm black, so like people want to talk to me because of that. And I'm an entertainer, so you can kind of get that aura, and people just want to say something to me all the time. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to like just have a beer and not like be talked to, and everybody's kind of doing the whole look around. Like I'm wearing a suit and shit, and like. <laughs> This guy standing next to me. He's doing that move where like, he keeps trying to make eye contact with me. Or he's doing the whole, he's going to catch me on the peripherals. So maybe if he catches me, we can make eye contact. And then I can say hello and start talking. Right? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going to look at this guy. I'm not going to look at this guy. I'm just going to stare, stare forward. <laughs> then I hear something on the TV. I look over to the, the right. Catch his eye. And he just goes, not from around here, are you? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then he goes. I'm from Holly, Michigan, born and raised, lived here my whole life. I love this place. It's a great town, a beautiful city. Everyone's so polite, so kind, so nice. It's, I love it here. You might get arrested being here, but I love it here. And I was like, ah, oh, here it is. Thanks for that, bud. So I go next door, I tell that story, because I want them to understand what I had to go through. And I've only been here for fucking 30 minutes. And I'm like, this is going to set the tone for the whole set, because my set's about race. So i like, I say this thing. nah. Not even a fucking, like, boo. Like, nothing. Just nothing. They're just
0: like, like, and?
1: Not even a gasp. Like, I'm like, this doesn't surprise you guys? And then, not another word. And I was like, well, the rest of this set's gonna be awful then, because pretty black. (laughs) So then I went and did my set, and there were like some young people there, like 10 young people there, and they all loved my shit. They, they came to me afterward and bought my merchandise and stuff, and they loved it. But everybody hated it. They fucking hated it. It was terrible. Second show was way better, because Zach had a bunch of people that he knew come, and the second show was actually really fun.
0: They were more like the Jay Leno crowd. Yeah. Like, they yeah. were like younger, like <laughs> hey, 40s or
1: something. But it like, you know, been we the gas good, station. That's weird. It have a pretty good set, but I will never do that show again, ever. And it's because, like, I felt so uncomfortable. And then I, people ask me, why don't you do that show again? I tell them that story. So why aren't you doing the show again? Did you not hear what just happened to me? Like, that's what happened. Like, I don't want to go back there. Yeah. Well, like, but it's the Holly Hotel.
0: Well, that's not the most overtly racist thing he could have said.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's what people will say. Well, it could have been worse. Or like, or, you know, well, what about the money? Or like, you know, it's a gig. A gig is a gig. You got to work. was like a gig is a gig. my Sandy is my Sandy, bro. <clears throat> And so Robert Jenkins one day, says, one day says to me, I posted about... Yeah,
0: the first person I meet in this town is like, you might get arrested for your skin color.
1: Yeah, the fr- I posted about this thing happening. And this guy messaged me, and he just says to me, he's like, man, you don't got to do every show. <laughs> That's his voice. That's how I read the text. But I just that, like, hit me. And I was like, fuck, man. He's right. I don't got to do every show. Yeah. Like, why would I have to do that show? It was, I got paid $75 for three shows. That's one whole weekend. 75 bucks to get a salad and have racist shit said to me. Why should I do that show ever again for to do the show, to have a gig, to work out my my material? I don't need to do that.
0: It's good to spread yourself out and, you know, make your name that way, but you don't have to go everywhere. And what is in it for me?
1: 75 bucks for two days worth of work. Not going to get any fans from that show. I'm not going to get any fucking, you know, good feedback. No, no agent's going to be there. I'm not going to get booked for anything. What's the benefit? There's no benefit for me to do it. So why should I do
0: it? Well, you met those 10 kids
1: well yeah I mean that adds up but they didn't follow me after that night so it yeah. didn't count so but I mean like comedy has got this thing where like you're supposed to just keep like put down and like just do all the things that everyone else did all the things before you and everyone else did that shit and it was when I stopped doing what everybody else did is when I found success in the rest of my entertainment career like it was when I stopped realizing that one I'm not just a comedian like I hate the idea of, well it seems
0: like comedians have been made to feel expendable for a long time well comedians feel like they have like to be people, just comedians people are afraid to like call out and say like carlos mencia was stealing my jokes robin williams was stealing my jokes i'm sorry for people that love robin williams i i think he's a great guy but like he was a he was renowned for joke stealing too i'd actually listen to a stand-up while i only watch the movies oh uh, you've never seen any of a stand-up i saw parts of that one he, where does, he had all the water he does one in the where he stool. does a joke about how tiring it is to go down on a woman and he does this and he goes oh i've seen that that's the special i saw yeah that's the hbo special right yeah yeah that's the one i saw then he eventually just falls asleep down there
1: you Want to hear my uh, one second impression of Robin Williams? Yeah. <clears throat> ho ho. There it is. One second one oh. second of Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I can do one second impression of almost every celebrity. It's one it's one stupid useless trait straight have. But um to answer the, to go back to the bigger broader thing you're talking about with like yeah, yeah. the trail and like the the creative process on its own is Rob when Robert told me I don't have to do every show it really opened my eyes to like the fact that I don't have to subject myself to stuff I don't want to for a craft that I don't feel like is my actual, like, that's what I'm gonna, like, put my passion and all my heart and soul into. Granted, I'm, like, really good at comedy, uh, to toot my own horn. I'd say I'd, I'm one of the one of the best fucking comedians in the state, like, period. Like, I can think of a couple other people who I would put on my level as comedians go, but, like, consistently being hilariously funny all the time, I'm really good at it. Yeah. And it's not even the one thing I'm passionate about.
0: And people so, don't realize how bad local comedy is, too. Mm-hmm. Not, not all local comedy. because No, people- all
1: local comedy is Bad, but there's good people in each local comedy that's, scene. That's what I'm like, getting at. Yeah. Like most of the comedians, I mean, I've, I have met. Well, it's I'm like open mic music.
0: You go and watch open mic music at a bar. You might find one band that, like, might be playing in some clubs in, within the next year or two, but 90% of it's going to be, like, just garbage two guys that learned how to play, wanted to play in front of people. You know, yeah, the problem
1: with open mic comedy is there's like 15 fucking comics and they all do seven minutes of material. <laughs> it sucks. Like, it feels like you're there for hours when it's bad. Yeah. But it's good. It's great. Like, last night, it, Pyramid scheme, we did that show. It was like we had four professionals in the lineup. And like it was an amazing show. It flew by. It flew by because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) But um when he said to me, like, you know, they're gonna do a show, it's it's just it's just like comedy is this thing where you tell everybody to do the same thing all the time and everybody does the same thing, and there's thousands of people in this state alone who call themselves comedians or say that in this city, there are hundreds of people who say they do comedy or say they do stand-up or say whatever. And I couldn't tell you. More than five who've done anything out of this city, out of Grand Rapids. Mm. I mean, it's a hobby, and so for me, it was a career for the last couple of years. Yeah, because
0: through comedy and like show promotion and whatever else, all you had going on, like more or less through comedy, either performing or setting up shows, that was most, if not all, of your income was all tied into that, right? It was, yeah.
1: Um, I mean, it was. I was touring. I was producing. I. Every month I was producing at the height, I mean, before the pandemic, yeah. I was producing four shows a month. And obviously, you know, I get paid for all those shows. Um, two of them were professional comedy shows. One was at the listening room. The other one was the Knickerbocker. One was uh, another professional comedy show called Don't Tell Comedy, which is a pop-up show that I did in secret locations every month. And the fourth was an open mic, which was I did every week. So I did three shows a month and then one show every week. And then I was also touring on top of that. So I was just doing comedy for a solid five years, like of just doing standup. And I got really burnt out on it. Like the most burnout I, I, I didn't know I could be burnt out on stuff, but I got hella burnt out on doing I mean, I was subjecting myself to comedy on average had to have been 15 hours a week
0: i was gonna say is that just do you think that was the natural course of it or did you just overdo it
1: i was doing what everybody said you're supposed to be doing and it was because i was i was i was so good at it and it was so easy to make money doing it for me like why wouldn't i keep doing it why wouldn't i take on another show it's oh, i can make another eight hundred dollars doing this one show a month yeah why wouldn't i just book that show yeah but on top you do that on top of touring four days a week sometimes touring for weeks at a time then doing an open mic every single monday for 4 years straight mm-hmm. i mean that's that's 9 new comedians every monday for 4 years like,
0: that's a lot of shitty comedy it's bro it's a
1: <laughs> lot of real i became so jaded i was so angry i was and it was all because of just seeing too much comedy like i don't watch comedy i don't watch it because i'm sick of it like yeah. i don't watch it because i do it all the time and i don't watch it because you i you don't, don't watch, watch it
0: like a lot. even even in the last 6 months year you haven't watched I've any watched, just for the sake of like something to do oh
1: there's, there's so many other things to do i mean i've watched <laughs> I've, i watched chappelle i watched his everything he released with netflix and that's it yeah and now i watched bill burr there are comics that i will watch no matter what like there's bill burr dave chappelle whenever eddie murphy puts out his next fucking special <laughs> um and then everybody else i'll kind of just watch if i feel like
0: it i think but- bill Burr's my favorite line he's ever had is the i think it was the name of his special too talking about people that are overweight he's like you ate your way into it walk your way out
1: I hear a Bill Burr line is um when he talks about uh, I'm at an airport one time and I see this woman and she's just demolishing inhaling a whopper and just putting it down a throat and she's just covered in sauce and ketchup and then after she gets done she wipes her face with
0: the bag <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's like that fucking imagery. I'm like, wow. That's yeah. a trash person. Man. You know
0: exactly who he's talking about, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, like, these are the kind of people that I go out of my way to watch. But <laughs> yeah. on the regular, I don't watch stand-up. And it's just because I get kind of bored with stand-up. And it's nothing against You just stand-up. kind of feel
0: like, I know what this joke is ultimately no, trying that. to do. I just, or...
1: I just get uninterested with things that I already do all the time. I want new stuff. If I'm absorbing, If I'm absorbing something, I want it to be something new. Like, I... I do comedy so much that I don't need to watch comedy because it just bores me. Not because I think it's bad. When I do watch comedy, I think it's hilarious. Yeah, Like, I'll sit... I can... You put on a special and I watch it and I laugh because it's funny. Yeah. But I'll never go out on my way to watch it by myself because I'll get bored. Mm -hmm. And it's just because, like, I do comedy. So, like, you know, know, a cook comes home, a master chef comes home and makes garbage for themselves. Yeah. Like, an artist comes home and, well, artists usually actually keep painting at home. But,
0: like... Well, no, I used to know a guy that um, worked on helicopter engines and then he would take his car somewhere i was like why don't you just fix it he's like dude i do that shit all day long yeah. last thing i want to do after five o'clock is turn around yeah yeah so enough. yeah so
1: i don't watch any of that stuff but um
0: no that 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 makes sense to me though because <laughs> i i definitely uh like when i was in college because i went to college kind of late too i went into the military and then started college when i was like 25 That's a little late. yeah so i had a kid who was in like first grade no no no. shit what was she she was in like third or fourth grade then we had another newborn while i was in school and i used to just constantly like have a book open if nothing else was going on but then i was reading like five books at a time for for literature classes (laughs) and for probably like six months after i graduated like books just it's kind of like if you drink too much cuervo then like the next time you see a bottle of cuervo you're like oh Yeah. just looking at it yeah and that's how i <laughs> that's how i felt with just reading after uh, after earning a bachelor's degree in ed- english literature was i don't think i ever want to read a classic ever again just give me cheap thrillers and uh <laughs>
1: that's how it works man we're out on that shit yeah but yeah that's why I, I transitioned after i got done i mean a bunch of shit all happened at the end of last year and everybody took last year i think as a reset And I took it as, I mean, I did a lot of shit last year. I fell in love, got engaged, got unengaged, fuck it all my leg up, got my identity (laughs) stolen a bunch of times. What? Uh, Yeah, I've had a week. Like I said, the last six months have been brutal. But um, that's all in the last six months. Jesus. Um, But in that time, my personal life has been ridiculously all over the place. While my professional career has been the best it's ever been in my entire life like but it's all because i found myself in all that yeah so like in this shift like you know i have leaned heavier into the voiceover work i do a lot of consulting work now i was gonna say
0: voiceover what kind of stuff are you doing like commercials and so i do
1: a lot of stuff so i do uh work for i work for iheart media and then i also do a lot of like independent work i'm a freelancer so i've worked for everywhere from the amway group to politicians to commercial work um
0: are you I, the pure michigan guy
1: no that's tim Allen, actually <laughs> um i do have a a couple of fake pure michigan ads on my i have a grand rapids one actually on my youtube channel oh yeah uh the ice cold comedian um but yeah i uh whatever work is good to me i'm i have an agency uh and so they send me work and then i do it uh i get a lot of auditions i get a lot of work that is custom for me and then a lot of auditions that are just like audition for this thing
0: do you i i saw you've got a box of equipment do you do stuff like here, do you have a studio you go into to do it?
1: So I have a studio that I go to usually. I have a studio that I normally go to in um, Grand Haven. Okay. Um, but for the most part, a lot of the reads you can do, nowadays, everything's done remotely. So like they're kind of expecting things to sound homemade. It's kind of the trend, unfortunately. I fucking hate it. As a guy who spent his entire professional career becoming as professional as possible, yeah. I hate the fact that every video is like a fucking zoom video now or like and then everybody got really good at graphic design so like you get a really beautiful graphic beforehand thinking you're going to get this really high quality product and then it's two zoom guys two guys on video like talking on zoom and yeah. it's like- I, I hate this and I can't wait for us to get away from this and back to professionalism. Yeah. Um, yeah, watching but, all the
0: people do TV shows, like the talk shows out of their living rooms. I didn't watch any of them.
1: I was like, I should not be better dressed than the guy on TV, period. Like, <laughs> do your hair, Jimmy Fallon. Like, I don't like the fact that you don't yeah. look <laughs> Yeah, you
0: watch The Daily Show and they're doing it in like hoodies and stuff. Yeah, I didn't yeah. like that
1: at all. Like, I was like, that's not, you're supposed to be better than us. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I. So most of the work is pretty remote and can be done very remotely. But I do have a lot of equipment. Um I have microphones. I mean I have in the basement I have everything set up to produce an entire comedy show. So oh, like no shit. and it's portable like I throw it all in the back of my truck I fucking go. So yeah. I um I have all the I'm a self-sustaining entertainment studio. I can give anybody any product they want and that's what I do now. Like I don't stick myself to just comedy. I consider comedy more a hobby now. Yeah. Than it was because I finished the album I felt very done after it It's like Childish Gambino when he retired Childish Gambino like people get freaked out When you like close a chapter Thinking that it's like oh I'm I'm turning my back On comedy he's
0: officially done
1: I mean, he said he's done, but he's not gonna be done done. He's doing oh, something yeah. I'll do did. something else. Like he's acting now. But, like he yeah. just moved on to something else. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm allowed to we're allowed to grow and evolve as humans, but people expect artists to stay the same. Like when we change and we come up with something different, people are like, this isn't like his old stuff, or I don't like this anymore. I yeah. like that stuff better. And it's like, you cannot like it all you want, but it's still who the fuck I am. So like now I'm just like this dude who likes to put inspirational shit on his YouTube, consult for people, and they need consulting. Like, I do a lot of independent consulting for people who just need help talking through shit like a lot of like i have a lot of friends that are high up in town that like don't know how to like talk to people that'll text me or call me and talk to me for hours and like how do i handle this how do i handle that and like it's a trait like you find what skill you're good at and you you realize that it, maybe it's more than one thing, and if you're good at something, never do it for free. So I decided to make a living <laughs> off of all of my skills. That's a good advice comedy. right there.
0: Don't if you're good at something, don't do it for free.
1: I mean, it's true, and I I, I keep preaching to all my peers in the community now. I'll preach right the fuck now to all my comedy peers. Stop doing shit for free. There's so many free options for entertainment and comedy, and this doesn't just stick to comedy. Like artists have a gross tendency to just undervalue themselves mm. and there's so much free high quality art that when people pay for stuff their standard is already so high that if it doesn't meet that standard they won't pay for it again and comedy is one of the worst victims of that because there's so many times where you can go to a free showcase like last night's show at pyramid scheme was free to, for people to go to to see yeah and you got two hours of professional quality solid top-notch comedy as much as I love that, and that's like a showcase that he does once a month. That's perfect, that amount. It's a little taste, and it's like, okay, well, come to the paid show, and you'll see you know, even better performers. And you give them a little little bit of it, but you don't give them the whole thing. Yeah. The problem now with the pandemic is everybody starts doing house shows now, and everybody's doing shows in their garage, in their backyard, and they're all doing them for free, and they're not charging anybody. So if I can go sit in Joe Schmobody's garage and watch... <laughs> Dave Chappelle for free. Yeah. Then if I'm paying 30 bucks to see somebody at Dr. Grin's, my standard is now Dave Chappelle. <laughs> and you're never going to get that level at a right. club like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. like that's the problem with like oversaturating the market with too much free high quality stuff. You got to give them a fucking taste. And right now comedy is in a boom. Like it's a, it's like the housing market in 08. Like yeah. people are eating up comedy cuz it's everywhere and it's easy to consume and it's free. Yeah. But we're gonna have to start charging for it. That's why I don't put on, I don't produce shows for <laughs> I make people pay for my shows every time because I know how valuable I am. I know how valuable the people I'm putting on are. And if I'm putting on a show every single week, you need to pay for it because you're not gonna keep coming if you know I'm gonna sat I'm just oversaturate the the free market with great comedy. Yeah. And then you go to Dr. Grins and see what is really good comedy, but it's not Bill Burr. So you're like, Well, I'm never gonna see comedy. That's comedy, I'm never gonna see a comedy show again. And I've been trying to stress it to everybody. We can't have five shows a week or, you know, we can't have five shows a week. <laughs> like,
2: I mean,
1: That's what it boils down to. Like there's an open mic every week in the city. And mm-hmm. uh, most cities there's like shows every night. And when that happens, people, it dries up. And right now we're in a boom and we can already see the numbers trailing off. Like when the everything first opened up, you could, I mean, every show was booked and everybody was laughing and it was hot. And I said to everybody at the beginning, I'm like, let's not oversaturate this. But then once the shows were going, everyone's like, Dude, this is great. Shows just kept popping up left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right. And I just kept saying everybody, this is great. This is great. Slow down. Maybe charge a cover. $5. Maybe put a tip jar out. me do this. Sell merch. Like Encourage people to let go of their money when they're here. Because now we're starting to see people are like, going... that is beautiful
0: people are um do you think people were just too backed up with shit like that they hadn't put out that they're like i just got to get this stuff out or is that kind of like just a trap of the entertainment industry to like the entertainment industry is producing cuz i've some heard of the people say because- like comedians get screwed over all the time and they're like oh you know we're not going to pay you that much but like look how many people are here so you know the exposure alone is
1: um that's not like a <laughs> that's not a truth. that's the truth like that's how most comedy comedy is a pretty disgusting field when it comes to the business side like people i've heard a lot
0: of people say like you know, there's a, people that are really well-known, the national headliners, mm-hmm. say like, oh, you know, coming up, there were people that were funnier than me, but the business just broke their spirit, and mm-hmm. they got out it of it. It almost
1: broke mine, that's so why I had to take a step back, but I mean, there's a huge price gap. Here's the wage gap in comedy. Here's what it is. And I'm not going to say the name of the person I work with, but I've worked with a bunch of well-known comics. I know, I know most, well, I worked with a really well-known comic. He, he's been in a bunch of movies. Big name. I opened for them he uh, I already said he Open for him uh I did 30 minutes they did an hour we did four shows over two nights I got paid uh three hundred and fifty bucks which is fine uh
0: for got, per show or for the whole per show
1: uh plus you know I sold merchandise afterward too so I made I did a, I did well that weekend um I did really well that weekend because we don't make our money off of it's like it's like what is it uh movie theaters don't make their money off ticket sales they make it off mer- concessions yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's how comedy is we don't make we do not gas money is what we make off of like the door unless you're the person I'm opening for. Um, but I made more than enough money. I made rent money actually that weekend. But um, <laughs> the person I opened for, uh, the headliner, who they're famous. I think they're very talented. They're a great actor. I know I'm a funnier comedian than them. Uh, they made, I think, $35,000 the weekend. That's the price gap. Like, that's the gap in three
0: hundred fifty 350000 to $35,000.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, and then we let's go down lower to like, your... But then,
0: what do you, what, what do you say though when someone's like, "Well, yeah, but you wouldn't have made that much money if that name hadn't drawn those people to that show."
1: Well, first of all, nobody ever says that because I acknowledge where I'm at in my career. I acknowledge that I haven't earned that yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not a bitter person. Like I get where I'm at. Like I'm. I've only been doing comedy however long I've been doing it, and I can do a weekend with this person. So I know where I'm at. I mean, I was my third year in comedy. opened for fucking Jimmy Walker from Good Times, <laughs> yeah, like, Dino Mite. Yeah, like we were doing uh, two New Year's Eve shows in one night uh, in a very big barbecue restaurant. <laughs> And he was pissed because he's Jimmy Walker. And he's like, they got me out here at a barbecue place on New Year's Eve. I'm Jimmy Walker. I got nominated for 18 Emmy Awards. And I'm like, I'm opening for Jimmy Walker. (laughs) I've always been aware of where I'm at in my career. So I'm not mad that I went out for two nights, got to work with a person I respect and made my rent money. Yeah. I'm living the dream. Right. Am I mad about the price gap? A little bit, but... Uh, If I could say the name of the person, like you'd understand the price gap. Yeah. The problem comes when you go down lower, like to the Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer, those kinds of names, not them specifically, not them specifically. No, but just people that are at that
0: level of like, you know, internet followers and yada, yada. That price gap
1: is those are people that work the same venues as me, the same venues, the same clubs. And I will work, I'll headline, right? A club or I'll feature a club or I'll headline a one nighter and they will headline the same one nighter. And we'll draw the same amount of people because the people go for the venue, yeah. right? Like somebody, you know, they got a famous one-nighter out in P- Poughkeepsie. That's like the place everybody uses for widgets. Uh, <laughs> uh, one-nighter out in Poughkeepsie, right? Um, it pays, I'll get told by the booker, you know, it pays 800 bucks for one night. You know, you get a hotel room and food and, food and uh, drinks. I'm like, bet. It's like, That's the flat rate. We pay that to everybody. I'm like, cool. But then I see Nikki Glazer was there two weekends before me. Now, I know Nikki Glaser is not working for $800.
2: Right.
1: I know that for a goddamn fact. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I got to accept the fact that she's Nikki Glaser. She has a show on Comedy Central. She's got specials. She's got, like, she's making that. Like, I understand that's the fucking standard. But the gap is literally this. Like, a comedy club weekend for me would be, like, 800 bucks. right? A uh, weekend for somebody like them is, we're talking 10000 so I mean, like these numbers go up five thousand dollars. Like I now book the listening room, which I book those names now. So I know how much those fuckers get paid because yeah, yeah. I'm the one paying them now. Right. And as the producer, I'm paying myself, and then I pay my host and I pay my feature, and I know the price gap. And the gap between the headliners and the features of my show is four hundred dollars. And I know that it's four. And I know that it's a big gap, but I made it smaller because I'm running the show for one thing, and yeah. I don't want that fucking gap to be that big.
0: And two, like... At at most, that's only one more digit. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, it shouldn't be that drastic because we're pretty
1: much on the same talent level. Like, somebody may have worked harder or been there longer or has more credits, but we're all in the exact same field. We're doing the same job. It'd be like going to fucking bag groceries, right? At Meijer, and Kevin next to me bags groceries, 30 seconds faster than that. guy bags groceries. And everybody just loves the shirts Kevin wears. And Kevin's so talkative. You know what? Kevin makes $25 an hour, and I make minimum wage. That's How pissed would people be? Why the fuck is Kevin making more than me? Well, yeah. Kevin wears a sparkly shirt, so everyone gives him a high five. People come to Kevin's aisle. and They go through his lane. So, yeah. like, well, but I still hear the same amount of time as Kevin. Yeah, but people really like Kevin. Nobody would be okay with that. But yeah. that is the industry standard in my field. That's why I don't like comedy. Like I still love comedy, but I don't like the
0: fucking industry. But that's not that's not unique only to comedy, is it? No, like, but I'm only a comedian. And that's that entertainment wide, though. Like that, it is. totally it, it seems it, I mean, seems like shady shit like just, just kind of follows you around. And in, in entertainment's engine, just but I'm fucked up. Like I'm, I'm
1: now <laughs> in the part where I've been negotiating with CAA agents and stuff, and yeah. like all these like big like Hollywood agents, and I don't like talking to those people. Those people scare me. Like those people, I'm like these people could probably calm me out of my apartment. Yeah, like, right. I don't know how. But I'll be homeless by the end of this conversation. Like they're yeah. good, yeah. Uh, and like the more, the more I got into the business side of comedy, the more I didn't want to be a part of it. Like the more I made myself independent, the more I was like, I don't want to be tied to anybody. And now I'm not. Like everything's in my name when it comes to my career. Like the only thing I represent, I'm represented for my uh, voiceover and acting and stuff. But I mean, it took me. I worked with another agency before that for comedy. I hated them. They were awful. They were terrible. They were gatekeeping pieces of shit racist practices misogynistic practices <clears throat> funny business comedy agency is what it's called i hated working for them and so i left them
0: were they the ones that set you up with the that roseville show no that was a different <laughs> verse so, i mean i'll give an
1: example of something from a guy who no longer worked for this agency for good reason but i mean he worked for them when i first started doing gigs for them and he helped book a oddball comedy festival uh in detroit and I was at a bar, and he was there, and I walked up to him, and I was like, oh, hey, good seeing you. How you been? The small talk, doing the fucking shit you're supposed to do. Right, right. Uh, And then I say, hey, if there's any drops at Oddball, let me know. I'll be there in a second. And he looks me dead in the eyes, and he just says, well, we already got a black comic from Michigan on the lineup, so we don't want to ruin the novelty. And he goes back to his drink. Then... I post about this years later, right? I'm established. I can say whatever the fuck I want at this point. I don't work for them anymore. Yeah, I don't really care. I post about this, right? That same guy who no longer works for that company comments and says, oh, man, I used to see this happen all the time when I worked for this agency. It's disgusting. It's really... Like the motherfucker forgot. The guy forgot, who said it to The guy to who you. said it to me. <laughs> didn't even realize it was him I was talking about. So I fucking said, fuck that agency, left them. Now I'm represented by like... uh and productions plus I didn't um, and they're great. Like they're fantastic. They fucking they're polite, they're kind, they they work for me. They're not like jerking me around. I don't feel like untrusting of them. Like it's just when you find like that right group of representation, you really feel like they care about you. Yeah. And I'm able to just now focus on like doing the things I'm passionate about, learning about art, having friends over to watch movies in the middle of the day, instead of having to book a thousand comedy shows a month by myself and run my own shows, and find my own voiceover Promote work. Promote everything my, on social media. Oh and God. Now I can just, like, relax, and I can fucking... I mean, I get my voiceover work done three, four, five times a week, and it pays my fucking rent. And the rest of my time is just, like, hanging out. Like,
0: I wish I could be uh, a voiceover person at any level, just because I hear that the hours for that, like, for the amount of time that you work for the pay that you get, it's about the best gig there is. Yeah, it
1: is. I mean, and I'll, I'm not shy. Like I'll. I mean, an example is I did a gig for a comp I won't say the name of the company. I did a gig one time where they came in and had me read for an hour and they paid me a thousand dollars.
0: Woo! And it's like you can't teach a
1: voice. Like you can't. Like, that's, that's that's the thing. Like, that's
0: like two weeks of substitute teaching. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you go in and like the thing will say to you, like the the we'll read will say, we're looking for a you know. Early forties, warm but gentle voice that feels reassuring, and it's like, yeah, that's worth a thousand dollars. Like, so somebody can get that specific, like to say, like to read something. I had somebody. So did you just
0: give them like a uh, a young um, Morgan Freeman? <laughs> well, I told them
1: that I could walk them to anything they needed, very carefully and very subtly, so that they feel safe and warm inside, so that the next thing they put together maybe feels a little easier. <laughs> yeah, it's very. Su- but they did specifically say, because I sent them a first draft back, and I just talked to them like this, very slowly, very directly. And they were like, Well, you can't just do Morgan <laughs> I was like, It seems like what you're asking for. Yeah. Like, it was, I wish I had the email still. It was seven emails that we kept sending back and forth between me and this. Hashtag uh, justice for Morgan. <laughs> Where I kept just, it literally uh, was like them just. Me tweaking it so it was less and less like Morgan Freeman until it was still the idea, but you could tell it wasn't. Yeah, it's like, and that's the basis of any real character. It was like
0: halfway between Morgan Freeman and Are You in Good Hands? Yeah, well, yeah, the Allstate man. are You in good hands? Like it's pretty much (laughs) Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Haysbert. Yeah, Uh, I used to love that guy. uh, Mr. Baseball. Do you ever see that movie with Tom Mm, Selleck? No, it was this terrible old '90s baseball movie. So terrible that it was great. Sure. (laughs) Tom Selleck played a guy from the New York Yankees who was aging and uh, the Yankees were like, hey, we traded you to Japan. My dad loved it. I haven't watched it. And my favorite joke from that movie was when he finds out he's traded to a team in Japan, he goes, what? I led the major leagues in ninth inning doubles in the month of August. And they're <laughs> like, just look at each other like, okay. In <laughs> <laughs> the month of August. I
1: don't know. Have you ever seen Major League? Another great baseball oh, movie. Yeah. Oh.
0: I saw all the major leagues, even the terrible ones that Back should never have been made. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, it's just
1: I just I, I'm glad that now I just can be an artist. Like I don't have to be a comedian. There's so many comedians. I had another comedian reach out to me uh, one day, and he was like, um, "At first, I thought that your social media, because my Facebook was always very personal. There's a lot of funny stuff too, but like it was all like a lot of my like my personality on it." Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, "I just think that your Facebook was weird," and I realized it was just you being yourself. Because like <laughs> if you look at comedians' Facebooks, they're very professional and streamlined. Yeah, like, you don't get a much sense of them as a person. Like it's all. Coming out to see me at the Funny Bone in Tacoma, Washington next Thursday, or yeah. it's some viral video, maybe fifteen or
0: like, minutes of a set. Yeah, it's never like where they're going to be next. Them
1: week. or who they are, you don't learn who they are. Sure. And so once I like got rid of the idea that I had to be a comedian on social media, I was
0: looking at it like, what's he trying to do here? Yeah, He's just being himself. Uh, is are trying this to figure a, me out. This I mean, a figure out. Is this some kind of bit?
1: Yeah, it's unusual, but like it's a it's a crutch that a lot of comedians oh. have, and I think it's what leads to a lot of comedians like mental health problems honestly is this idea that we're not allowed to be anything besides comedians
0: well that's something that i thought about and i was when i was um what was i watching just the other day there was a comedian oh it was um it happened a couple of times where i've seen comedians try to say something very serious Mm. and like one of them was rowan atkinson mr bean Mm. he was giving a speech about um Freedom of speech, because I guess you know censorship was an issue uh, in England recently, or last couple of years anyway. And every time he would like pause to look up, people would be like, <laughs> "It's like he didn't say anything funny, but they're just like, oh, he's a comedian, so any minute now he's gonna give us a zany look or drop a punchline, mm. and they're just waiting for it. Like, mm-hmm, is he gonna? And then he's like, thank you for your time, walks away, and people are just like. Mm. <laughs> It that took, wasn't funny, dude. It took a legitimately a
1: solid year of me like forcing people to treat me with like respect to take me seriously in the last year because like when I transitioned like nobody's I knew no one's gonna take me seriously as an artist um if they thought of me as just a comedian. Right, and so I kind of had to flush my personality on social media because people would come up to me in person not understanding that I've had this transformation.
0: Like in, private. or they'll get mad at you and be like, "Stick to the jokes." Well, was not even th- well online. Yeah, I had
1: to. I, that's why I left Facebook because like I wasn't allowed to be a person. Like yeah. I was like, this is fucking bullshit. Like I can't. I look at someone's profile who tells me that I should be funny, right? But their profile is all political shit, like fucking, like commentary and social shit. And I'm like, what the yeah. fuck do you do for? Are you a politician? Are you a social worker? What do you do? Oh, you're a garbage man. You're a garbage man telling me that I, a literal social commentator by profession, am not allowed to commentate on social things. Like the idea that a comedian is not allowed to speak their mind. You should stick to comedy. Bro, this is what I do. I can sit on this computer for four hours and just argue with you because I don't have to go to work. Like this is my job. That's the thing they don't understand. They'll talk to me the blue in the face online. I will tell somebody online, look at my Reddit conversations; Those are fun. Because people get so mad at me and they'll be like, you got anything better to you? I'm like nigga, this is my job. Like you don't get it. Like you don't have anything better to do right now. My job is to get you pissed off and let you realize how dumb this interaction is. Like they yeah. don't even understand that. Like it doesn't. It's not that it gets me off. It's just that like I genuinely am intrigued to hear how mad you can get yeah. because like it's stupid that you're this mad. And like if I have a point to get across, I'm gonna get my point across. And if I see you're gonna be going in circles, I'll just stop talking to you. And then yeah. when I stop talking to them, they get really pissed off. But it's like. I'm a comedian second, 4th, 5th, 6th, but I'm like a person first.
0: <laughs> I don't know what why that made me think about it, but um like I was saying before, I I watched it was on the Today shows website about when Shakira Richardson um came out and like did her apology video. Did you ever see that?
1: I don't even know who Shakira Richardson is.
0: She was a track star that oh, qualified, yeah. Yeah, though, the weed one yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is what that what the, is I the bullshit is, though, at least this is the way I understand it, so I apologize if I have it wrong. <clears throat> but the way I understand it was she tested positive for marijuana uh, from a sample that they took like while she was at the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. And then they said, oh, you tested positive for marijuana. That's a banned substance, so you can't compete. Mm-hmm. But the Olympics hadn't tested her, and... The Olympic Committee never said anything like "Oh, anybody who tests positive." So it was just kind of like it was an the american U.S. Yeah. Olympic Selection Committee was like, "Oh, well, we're we're not going to take her then because she smoked marijuana, even though she's the fastest American." Well, you know, american their priorities have always been pretty aligned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't get
1: it. I just it just seems like but oh. everything being legalized by for weed right now with like it's sweeping across the nation to me that just seemed like a direct like message to the nation or it's like if this gets to a federal level it's not going to go through and yeah. here's why like we're pointing to this like we're going to show you guys that we don't care how much you like weed we're not going to allow this to happen because we're <laughs> a bunch of old men
0: because yeah we're pieces of shit that won't let women cover their butt cheeks either the the it's volleyball team ball. and the the handball team the Was it the Norway, women's Norway handball team? They wear like bikini bottoms and they were like, we don't want to wear these. They're like, you have to. And they just came out with like the volleyball shorts instead. And they got fined. Somebody else paid it for them. Pink. Pink, yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) Have they explained why you have to wear bikini shorts? Have they ever said that?
0: That's the official Olympic uniform that was selected by the Olympic committee. Don't question it. Fuck you.
1: But they've never actually said why it was selected or why they need to never That's change it. That's
0: the official uniform. Fuck you.
1: How is nobody boy? Why doesn't every player boycott?
0: Because, well, I mean, I see the, the point of people who are like, I've literally worked every ounce of fat off of my body from the time I was in 12 and knew what the Olympics were until this moment. I've lived and trained for this moment. It's like, oh, you know what? But I don't like the thing no most people they just see like oh i could win a gold medal i could be a hero and they you know they all chase that dream to become that one or two or three olympians that actually can make a financial career out of being an olympian everyone else is going to go home with as much or less money than they started with you know what i mean
1: yeah but if they would just like band together like that's the thing i'm always i'm all about you that's a creepy aspect well i think that's all about unionizing man like if the olympians would band together and like None of them none of them want they all want to be able to have the choice to wear bikini bottoms or shorts. They want to have that choice, right? Yeah. If they would all just refuse to play, every single one of them, in solidarity with each other, but you they know would that, get results done. You know,
0: there would be that one or two teams that would be like, Yeah, we'll do that. And then on the day they'd show up and like Okay, we're ready to play. Oh, you guys are all disqualified? Sucks to be you. I guess we get medals. I
1: don't think that would happen. I think if everybody agreed, I think that... You know what? I'm going to say right now, the pandemic proved one thing. Everyone, All these comedians have been talking about the same thing, and I think they've been talking about it in the opposite way. Everyone's been saying that the pandemic has proved that we can't band together as a society. So everybody was saying. And I'm like, fuck that. The pandemic proved that we could band together as a society. We banded together to, let's see, hate mask mandates. We banded together <laughs> to hate the governor for an entire month. We banded together to create a vaccine in record time. We banded together. Like, it's stupid to think that of all the... Yeah, we also banded together to, like, some people, a few people, banded together to, like, boycott not having boats. Or getting haircuts. There's always dumb idiots in groups of people. If you look at the majority of what happened during the pandemic, people came together. If you put a bunch of people... The media highlights the division. Of course they do, because that's their job. They want to keep everyone divided so we can keep absorbing their stupid media, so they can keep them divided. But... I mean, if we could just band, whenever we band together, everybody agrees. Like, everyone has a hive mentality. Like, that's how we are in human nature. Like, that's why unions form. Because one person has an idea, gets everybody else to say, okay, we're all going to do it. And then all at once, they all decide to do it together. Mm -hmm. It just takes somebody to be like, let's all do this. Like, it took that one team. I guarantee the next Olympics, more teams will get banned. I guarantee it's gonna happen until they're gonna have to change the rules.
0: Yeah, I mean, this, and that, then the, then they'll have this whole sweeping campaign about like feminism. Oh, they'll act like it was their fucking idea. <laughs> they'll never admit that it wasn't their idea. Yeah,
1: but that's the thing. Like, I, I'll bring oh. it down to the George Floyd thing. Like, it comes <sighs> down to we've been asking for police reform forever, right? Yeah, and it only you look happened- at the most
0: policed cities in America is where the most violent crime is. So policing is not clearly just the answer. Right, but
1: it's the type of police we need to do The problem came when it happened The reform was finally being pushed forward And the reasoning behind it was being questioned By people in the black community It was all, well, white people only care Because they're all sitting at home doing nothing Which is the negative side to look at what is a true statement You are correct, things happened Because white people finally gave a shit Because they saw it They they had to sit at home and stare at their phones for six months
0: I mean, a lot of people, myself included like, I didn't know what Juneteenth was until my senior year in high school where I went to like a 95% white high school. Yeah. I dated one of the few black girls that went to my high school. And she was like, oh, hey, it's Juneteenth. I was like, what is that? I didn't learn it until I was 18 years old. Not from school, but from one of the few black people that I knew. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know what I mean? But, like, they all had to band together. And because they're all sitting at home, they all decided to fucking protest and put their temporary profile photos up and blah, 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 blah. Do I hate the fact that it was all out of convenience that it, a bunch of like, that white people finally decided to like speak up for us and help use the substantial voice they have in this country to actually propel change? Yes, it really pisses me off that it took a pandemic, a murder so disgusting and so unconscionable for people to give a shit. Yeah, it, it pisses every single black person off in America, but we need to understand that the positive of it is the fact That it happened. We got reform, or we're getting reform by the fact that everybody got. With the pandemic everybody came so instead of just highlighting the negatives of what happened we could just as easily highlight the positive yeah. But we as humans are latching on to like division and controversy so i mean you take the media out of it and we naturally did it to ourselves Or we as societies were in black culture we're like well fuck white people for only caring right now yeah how come they only cared right now and it's like bro they're trying to help now and we are creating our own divide the media didn't do that shit that was us who did it yeah and it was all because like as human beings we like Need conflict, and we need to like have divisiveness. It's why people love to argue, and why people want to be mad, and people love being pity and yeah. people tell you about the worst thing that happens to you when you first see them. You get in the car. Oh, I've had the worst day. This, yeah. this, 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 this. Or people this, can't this, wait this. to
0: tell you, like, oh, did you hear that Kobe died? Like, yeah, and it's like I don't know how many people are like, hey, did you hear Kobe? Like, yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> do you just walk around telling everybody? And it's like, you uh,
1: take stock in the people that you have conversations with. If you talk to somebody and all they ever do is talk about other people, that's not somebody you should be around. No, right. That's somebody that has nothing going on in their own life. They can't talk about the weather, art, a TV show they watch, something they read, some literature. They got to talk about somebody else. Like most people, I would say like- Or hey, they're arming like,
0: up on what they're going to talk about with you right now as soon as you're gone and the next person comes in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They've got that mentality of like, okay, well, finish the saying,
0: finish what saying, finish saying. I got this thing. I got this thing. Finish the same, Finish saying.
1: <laughs> and like, we all suffer from that. And I, We only, I've just now become aware of it as a human, like as a self aware person was like, shit, I do that too. Everybody does that. Yeah. But I'm going to say, I'm going to throw a fucking number. 95% of people will deny till they're dead that they do that. Nobody even knows they do that. most people live life blissfully unaware of who they even are as a person. They go to their shit job. They hate their wife. They hate their kids. They hate (laughs) everything about their life because they don't even know who the fuck they are. And that's almost everybody. You know what? That's why they're all haters. That's why they're all trolls. And that's why they hate everybody who's doing what they want to do with life. Because people see me and the way I live my life, and they're just like, "Oh, you're not doing anything." It's like, well, see, my daughter is fed and clothed. She sees me all the time. She, I pay my child support. I pay my bills. I pay my taxes. I pay my rent. I hang out with my friends. I do my job. I bring joy to everybody with my job. Why the fuck should I feel guilty about the way I live my life? Because yeah. you suck. Like people get mad at me online just because they're mad that they chose to not be themselves, yeah. and they can't figure out who the fuck they are, and so. We just like get mad and want to divide, and the fucking government is in charge of the media and they want to stay in charge. So they tell them what to do, and the divide keeps going, and yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. And I'm just done with it. Like, yeah. I just don't want to do that anymore. And I'm not about that, like, that negative energy or that yeah. lifestyle because, like, American <clears throat> lifestyle is a negative lifestyle, American culture is a negative culture. Donald Trump ran a campaign that stupid people were dumb enough to not even understand was insulting the country itself. Make America great <laughs> again. Like these idiots I can't even
0: realize. I can't get your voice out of my head. <laughs> no, you fucking don't.
1: <laughs> I have a great relationship with the blacks. Yeah, no, you fucking don't. Like I just—he just sold just all this shit to people, and they're just like, "Yeah," and it's like he said it. It's true. He exposed how stupid Americans are on the whole. Like on the whole. Like they're after four years in, they're like, "Whoa, we regretted making that decision." He. <laughs> And it was like when Chappelle was talking about how like poor rich white people are poor white people are the ones he felt the most sorry for. Yeah, He's like y'all think that Donald Trump's here for you, nigga. I'm rich. Donald Trump's here for me. (laughs) Like he bamboozled everybody. Got filthy rich for four years. Got everybody else rich, even richer. And then fucking skedaddle. And they're voting him in, trying to vote him
0: in again. And he's still getting richer too. One time I went to his website. I was like, hey, check this out. You go to DonaldJTrump.com or whatever it is, and the first thing you see is Donate Now. You scroll down a little bit, donate now. You scroll down a little bit, donate now. You scroll down a little bit more, buy a hat, buy a flag, scroll down a little bit more, donate now. Like hardly any information. Just give us money this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, or this way. Stop the steal. He literally told everybody. He said to everybody, he said, drain
1: the swamp. They're all corrupt. I'm going to run this country like a business. (laughs) <laughs> like wait, wait 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 what? Like nobody like was like drain the swap yeah get Hillary out of there all oh, about this is corrupt they they run us we're gonna run ourselves like a bi- wait a minute hold up
0: I'm gonna go in there and tell the Chinese they're motherfuckers
1: Yeah, <laughs> nice. we like him cause he's a maverick says what he wants <laughs> yeah, man I just I just feel I just feel bad for like that mentality it's yeah. just like that's why I left Facebook that's well it does I,
0: it does make it hard for people to not want to see the. The not divided part of it. You know, even, shit, West Michigan media. I remember recently there was um, something for a Black Lives Matter. I don't know if it was a... They did like a march somewhere. But anyway, the they interviewed one person. And it was a black person who complained about how many white people were there and not enough black people were there. Rather than being like, hey, it's great that so many people are like, yeah, we are... We're with you. They're like, we don't want white people support. We want black people to come out in, like, in droves, not white people. Like, why can't you be happy that the white people showed up in
1: the first place? So I've worked with a bunch of, I've worked with a couple of nonprofits in this city. Um, I have a very sour taste with this city. I love the people. I love the creative scene in the city. I love all the artists, like the creative. Like Grand Rapids itself different. or
0: like the whole the way West Michigan know, Grand like, Rapids greater area?
1: Grand Rapids specifically, this city. Okay. Um, West Michigan on a whole is West Michigan. It's pretty much like the rest of the fucking Bible Belt in the Midwest and shit. But Grand Rapids specifically has this aura, this like facade. I'm calling it a facade of like being woke and progressive. And I mean from like the hierarchy, not from like the people itself. The citizens of Florida, You're not talking
0: can- about like the the Trans flags and no, I'm not talking LGBT about, flags I'm not talking and all the windows and all... owners or anything. Like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah.
1: about. I'm not going to name anybody because like I know these people, but I'm talking <laughs> about like I drink with these people, but like I tell them their face. I'm like yeah, but these are the kind of things where like you know these powerful people have these conversations about how they all suck with each other behind closed doors. Yeah. I've been in those conversations, but we don't we can't talk about them out loud, right? Because they're in charge. Because yeah, like, and then
0: you don't have those conversations anymore.
1: Yeah, it's like those are closed door <laughs> conversations. Yeah. But like I tell them, and I'm like the stuff you do is so blatantly obviously just for photos. Like, everything they do is so superficial. Like, Brianna Taylor Way. Like, we asked for police reform in the GRPD because the GRPD has a record, a history of employing corrupt police officers. With well, just no- recently
0: some big hire that was forced out of her last job because she was, quote, incompetent. So
1: there's a public record you can look up on the public uh, GRPD database of every rec- of all the police's public Pro records um grand rapids has i think oh, last time i looked it was like at least 100 active police officers that have been transferred to grand rapids for conduct issues in other cities and it's part of a program that every police department implements well, it's just like the fucking catholic priests catholic, where they just shuffle yeah. them around and shit so grpd enforces i post a status like when i first found out about this way before brianna taylor even happened right yeah. it's like this needs to be addressed like this is after fred or george floyd um it needs to be addressed. We're asking for police reform. That's all we're asking for. All the streets for the picketing. Police reform. Police reform. Police reform. Police reform. Brianna Taylor Way is what we got. And there was a big fucking celebration and an event and the mayor was there and like the city planner, and everybody was there and it was like, "Look at this great thing we did. Breonna Taylor Way. We put a fucking street sign up." And it's like, "That is not change."
0: Yeah. I tagged well, then didn't the her family come through and be like, will you please take down yeah. all of this art? I
1: tagged the mayor because the mayor and I are friends. I tagged her. And I was like, this is not what we asked for. And I put a fucking big thing on it. And it was in their official like thing. like The mayor's post about it and shared the event. And I tagged her because like, I'm friends with her, so I can tag her. And I was like, this is not what we asked for. And I was like, boom. This is a fucking sign on a street corner that doesn't at all address the problem that we are saying we have and the issues that we have. And then I started citing all the stats that I fucking knew. And she ne- got a bunch of likes. She never responded. I saw her again a couple of months later. She never even brought it up. And it's like, these people don't give a shit about and, us. They and, and they're probably...
0: all well, some of them might be, but a lot of them probably aren't Their own doing their own social media. It's something well, intern. Or... Yeah. And I love Mary Bliss. She's
1: great. I like her a lot. We're friends. Yeah. But like, I understand that a lot of this shit is out of their hands. And they have like... A team of people who are like pruning and prodding and making sure everything is all this and all that. And when they say things like, I wish there was more black people here. They don't take into account that they live in a fucking white city. Like, what do they want to have? They live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's 92% Caucasian in this state, city. 92% Caucasian, I believe it's 9%. No, 7% African American and 2% everything else.
0: And that's people in the city?
1: That's Grand Rapids. I guess it includes the suburbs probably, but that's Grand Rapids. Okay, because I was going to say like, in
0: the suburbs, yeah, it's definitely in 90% of the That's including away. the suburbs. So that's but, according yeah. to the
1: last, most recent census. So when you're at an event, Black Lives Matter rally, three months ago or whatever it was, and you're looking around and you see all these people, thousands of people there picketing and supporting Black Lives Movement, the person who's in charge is pissed because they don't see black people because the optics of it, will look bad. Yeah. They don't give a shit about the message. They don't care about black lives. They don't care if there's black representation there. They want photo ops. They want to be able to be seen taking photos with a black person. They don't get your city's 92% white. people. They're white people are going to show up. Yeah. I'm glad they're supporting. Black people are happy that we're supporting. We're not going to go to those things because y'all like to riot and break shit and we get <laughs> blamed for it. But we're... But like, and I mean, like, that's the Black Lives Matter shit. Like, this surprise the Black Lives Matter rally. Do you remember what happened when you rallied last time? Like, if I was there, like, I deliberately left town when that happened. I'm mm-hmm. in mean, like a bunch of black people. Like, I was in a bunch of black people Facebook groups. And the just, big question I'm just was, gonna have it known on my status: I was not
0: there when this happened.
1: Dude, a bunch of questions of all in the black community in GR was: Are we gonna go to that? And the well, overall majority, aside from the younger population, like, there's a lot of like teenagers and early yeah. 20s. Yeah. If you were like 25 and up in black, you weren't there. And we were like, we're not going to that shit. And the whole thing was, they're going to fucking destroy downtown.
0: Yeah, and like, then we're, we'll get tear and, and, Yeah.
1: We're not trying to get arrested for that shit. And then look at all the arrests that were made that night. It was all white people. It was all white people. And then it's like, we got blamed that night. This is Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, four
0: months after that mm-hmm. happened, you think we're going to show up to your event again? Well, and then it gets reported, too, to the back to the people in the suburbs like, Look what happens when you get black people together. That's
1: all us. We do it all. Black Lives Matter
0: burn the city Dude, down. I live in that neighborhood. I'm, I live in Granville. And a couple months ago, it was on the news. Um, a guy was passing around letters and putting them like under people's windshields saying, you know, if you have a gun and you're prepared to stand up for you and your neighbor's property in the event of a, quote, mostly peaceful Black Lives Matter protest, Let me know. Send your email to this thing. I heard about that. That was on Facebook. Yeah. And I went straight. I took my note. I went straight to the police department and I was like, do something about this. They're like, you're like the 50th person that's told this. I'm like, okay, cool. And then it ended up getting on the news. And they're like, we know who did it. It's just an old guy. Don't worry about him.
1: They don't know. They didn't investigate shit. I had a guy last night. This is how I have a joke. It's a very, it's a new bit. So if you want to see me do it, come out (laughs) to Sunday Night Funnies this Sunday night at 9 p.m. I believe it's at the, uh, Something house. It's on stocking next to uh, blue dog. Um, just kidding. Get in a time machine. Go back to yesterday. (laughs) I forgot this on Monday. Um, I have this bit where I'm, like, white guys have had this tendency my entire life to just spout out weird shit to me. Like, I don't know what it is. And, like, I've extrapolated this with other black guys. And it's, like, exclusive to me. I don't know what it is. I think it's just because, like, I have this, like, really eloquent, like, calming demeanor as opposed to, like, a really aggressive, like, you know, black person. So, like, they just feel like, oh, my God, I've always wanted to say some black So, they say, yeah. Um, I had a guy, or they just get nervous around me, or I've heard a lot of people say that they think I'm for uh, this one too cool, and they just start they start trying to act cool around me. So, man. that's what I've heard. <laughs> um, so a guy comes up to me after my set last night. Great set, great set, man. I'm like, thank you. Can I buy you a drink? And I've learned now uh, as an entertainer to never down like never undersell myself when someone asks to buy me a drink. Because one, I'm an entertainer. You were just entertained for a long time. I deserve an expensive drink. Yeah, that's right. so I, think, I said, yeah, I'll take a double Woodford Reserve. Neat. And he says, okay, I I asked. So then he walks away. <laughs> so I'm talking to my friend again, and he comes back and puts the drink in front of me and just says, not Woodford, but you'll like it. My first thought, that's some audacity. Just assume I would like this random drink you just gave in front of me. So I sniff it. Clearly it's scotch. So I'm like, is this scotch? And he's like, yeah, McAllen. And I was like, oh, I don't really drink scotch. And he's like, Oh, well, oh, Woodford's, uh, I was like, bourbon. Oh, yeah, see, I knew they didn't have that here, so I got you this. I was like, oh, well, they had it when I ordered it an hour ago. And he's like, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even try asking. I just assumed they didn't and got you this instead. And I was like, why? And he's like, I don't know. I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> That's... <laughs> What's that? When I first started comedy, I I, like, was doing this open mic, and I didn't have a car at the time. (laughs) And a guy, I asked the booker, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm just really sorry about this, but can somebody come pick me? I don't have a car. Is there anybody going to the show, maybe from my side of town, who I can hitch a ride with? And they say, yeah, I'll send somebody your way. And it's a guy who has since, doesn't do comedy anymore, uh, has a normal life now, but his name name is Sean Daly. Um, And it's a hilarious story, because he pulls up in front of my house, and I come out, and I get in the car, and he's a very white, white man. Like, he looks like... He's in, like, a fucking Abercrombie ad. Like, he's very good looking. <laughs> yeah. And like, everything's where it's supposed to be and perfectly co and stuff. And I, I sit in the car and he's listening to, like, Drake. And not, like, mainstream Drake. Like, off the album Drake. And I look at him and I'm like, Drake, huh? And, like, I never met this guy before. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, huh. Wouldn't have pegged you as a Drake guy. And then he just goes, I'm going to be honest. I had never had a black guy in my car before and didn't know what to play. <laughs> We since became really good friends. Well, uh,
2: first interaction.
1: Like I was like, huh. <laughs> so we we got to the venue and I definitely told that story. The first thing I got on stage and he went up after me.
0: <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I didn't know I what else know. to
1: do. Dude. I don't, you probably don't know. Cause you're not, I'm assuming you're not awkward around like people for their race, but like a lot, most white people are really awkward around people who aren't white.
0: I think I probably was when I was younger. But, but then, you, you know, then I got up, out of the town that I grew friends. up in and <laughs> had real experiences. And like I was in boot camp, slept a, right across from a dude that didn't speak any English who was from the Dominican. Is he from the Dominican? Dominican uh, republic of the United States. Might have been Dominican. Dominican or Cuba. Can't remember now. Cuba, but damn. only spoke Spanish. By the end of boot camp, he knew enough to be like, shut the fuck up to people like
2: that.
0: <laughs> 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 and simple yeses and noes. But like, yeah. Um, yeah, that I had a few experiences that pulled me out of my bubble, but I'm sure that I was the guy that was like, Yo, what up, dog? Like, I don't talk like that. Why what did up, I do that dog? just now?
1: I see so many guys just it's always guys do it. I see so many like, white guys instantly regret the way they have greeted me. Like, <laughs> like, hey, man. It'll be like, because oh, I'm like a handshake guy, maybe a fist bump every night. Yeah. That's me. Like, I'm, I've am always, I've never been like a big, let's do all the <laughs> handshake guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But every white dude, they, I go for a handshake, and they just start contorting my hand in different ways. And I just keep my hand still and just stare at them. And then they go, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, I can just be a person, man. We don't got to do all that shit. Sorry,
0: man. I was just watching Fresh Prince. I right? thought everybody was like, <laughs>
1: like this is 2015. 2015 <laughs> 2021, bro. We shake hands. We don't even do that anymore. <sighs> you know what else? I don't know, man. White dudes are weird to me.
0: <laughs> that was a Chappelle bit, too, wasn't it? Just shake my goddamn hand like a man, Ron.
1: Yeah, you talk about like he would do. He also had the uh, the one where he talked about. It was on Chappelle's show. We yeah. talked about how he'd always fuck with white guys when you hang up the phone by throwing out a random uh, phrase that could definitely be a black catchphrase, but isn't, and seeing how they react. And it's like I'm gonna be on the phone with my agent or something. And it'll be like cut to him on the phone saying, like, "All right, man, I'll see you later on." Okay, Dave. i will talk to you later. All right, man. Zip it up and zip it out. <laughs> Okay, Dave. Zippity doo dah. Bye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, what an interesting painting. Okay, now this just looks like maybe a harbor early in the morning. Oh, it's like misty. It's uh, like yeah, there's that mist coming up with the early morning sun,
1: just warming things up a little bit. It's kind of one of those paintings too. But if you don't, if you're not looking directly at it, it's completely blank. Yeah. That is a beautiful. I want to get that. Yeah, yeah.
0: When you just kind of lose focus in the center, it almost looks like a used chalkboard.
1: Yeah, I really like that a lot. Anyway, we got to wrap this up. I got friends going over an hour, and we're going to watch some fucking badass movies. Well, one <laughs> movie. And I have to pee again. I have to drink a lot of water.
0: All right. Well, um, go ahead and uh, list all the places people can find you online and anything that you have planned beyond tomorrow. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, uh, literally just Google Ice Cold Comedian. You can find literally everything I do. Um, that's my TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I do have a Facebook fan page. It gets updated with um, content that I put out and show dates and stuff like that. But for the most part, I don't really fuck with Facebook that much. If you really want a part of me, go to the old Instagram. Uh, that's really fun. I, I'm on there all the time. Send me a message if you want. I talk to people all the time. I like people. Um, and those are my social medias as far as other stuff. I mean, you can hear me in different places. You won't know when you hear me, but you can hear me on iHeartRadio all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you're
0: somebody that sounds vaguely like Dennis Haysbert, well, cross with Morgan Freeman.
1: I have an NDA with iHeart. I'm not allowed to say what I lo- what I do for them. Mm. So,
0: <laughs> Are you allowed to mention the NDA or should I even I am, blink you know? that You're out. allowed
1: to mention NDAs whenever you have them. I just can't say what I do for them because it's kind of like a fourth wall breaking kind of like yeah. behind the industry secrets thing.
0: But um, they don't want people to know that a black guy does that. Pretty much. <laughs> they don't want to
1: know a black guy is there. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and then as far as finding me, uh, shit, man, you can find me at the listening room uh, for Listen Up Comedy Night starting uh, August 25th. Um, I'm the host. I produce the show, but I also host every night. So you'll see me when I actually do the show. Uh, this month, we'll have uh, Mary Santora, who had the number one comedy album on iTunes for seven months last year. Um, she was named Thrillist Shit. Magazines, one of top 100 comedians to watch in America. She's Cleveland's best comedian for the last three years straight. And we got her opening the listening or opening up our first night of the listening room after the pandemic. But we've also got names coming in like uh Ali Sadiq, Chris Kattan, Craig Shoemaker, um, uh, Mikey Shack, um, uh, Mandy McKelvey, fucking other big names that I'm not allowed to say. Yet. Uh, uh oh, 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 oh crap, what's the name? There's one other big name I just booked the other day, and I cannot remember it right now, but go to my Instagram. I love I, it. I <laughs> that. That's why I try to think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I spent all my time, uh, my downtime, booking real comedians for my venue. Listening Room, Listen Up Comedy Night, that's the Listening Room in Studio Park. Um, first show is August 25th. Tickets are available right now for that. Um, everything else, my album is coming out at the end of this year called Netflix Special by 35, and I also have one other super, super duper secret super project that I'm working on that could change my entire life when it's finished that I am not ready to announce yet, but it will be awesome. Nice. And look out for that. Uh, I'll be dropping hints on my social medias leading for the next couple of months, leading up to the announcement for what that is. And that'll be something that I'll give you a hint right now. Give you a hint right now. You ready? (laughs) Exclusive.
0: This is something
1: you're not going to want to change the channel for. It's all I got to say. All right. It's all I got to (laughs) say. Don't change that dial. Okay. I got to pee now real quick. All
0: right. That was Mike Logan. I had a great time talking to you, Mike. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you check out Mike at Ice Cold Comedian on all social media platforms. And check me out at TalonWrites, Talon with two L's, or at ChristopherTalon.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.